And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Folks, to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report, we're coming to you live from our radio television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania, where there's not a hurricane bearing down on us. That's right. Our prayers go out to all the people that uh, are in the path of that uh, Hurricane Matthew. I want to welcome each and every one of you to tonight's broadcast. We broadcast live every weeknight, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. And, of course, we simulcast uh, on Blog Talk Radio, that's BTR, as well as YouTube Live. You can catch us on YouTube Live. That's if you're watching us uh, you're watching us via that uh, that venue. Don't forget, folks, we've got two different websites, HagmanReport.com, HagmanReport.com. Bookmark that site. That's for news, information, analysis, show prep, data that we talk about on the show, and then Hagman and Hagman.com. That's our show page. Of course, there you can watch our show or select the venue from which to listen. And uh, I'm Doug Hagman, a fellow investigator researcher. My son, Joe Hagman, something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. Uh, we've got a lot of topics to talk about uh, tonight. We also have a very special guest for the second and third hours, Brandon House. He's an author, an incredible author. And we're going to be talking about uh, current events uh, through the lens of his newest work, and that's the coming of the uh, coming religious Reich. And it's something I, I saw about his writing, um, he writes, the Third Reich was bad, the Fourth will be worse. Interesting indeed, a lot to talk about, because that kind of hits right at the epicenter of um, how things are going today. Uh, one of the stories, however, and Joe and I were talking about this before the show, we had a couple of weeks ago, maybe maybe longer, we had a guest on our program. He was a Russian or is a Russian linguist. Um, he, he, Russian linguist, he spent 20, this guest spent 20 years in the military as a Russian linguist and interpreter and covering Russian, um, as a target. All right. Now, this gentleman spent time conducting conventional arms inspections all across the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, and, uh, military exercises with Russian speaking countries. He was, over the Soviet Union doing a lot of work on behalf of the U.S. military. He worked as the sole translator with the defense attache office in Moscow uh, for weeks at a time, not just translating every document between the U.S. Department of Defense and Russian, uh, uh, their defense department, but also interpreting for high-level talks between the DIA, which is the Defense Intelligence Agency, and State Department personnel with their Russian counterparts. Now, that said, he had uh, contacted us through John Robertson, um, and uh, had something to say about what's taking place right now with respect to Russia and everything that you see in the mainstream media. And I found it really interesting because uh, uh, contrary to what we are seeing today, his views are a little bit different, shall I say. And to give you an example, we put 
on HagmanReport.com, there's a story up there. Russia tells citizens nuclear war with West could happen soon. Right. Um, and this article goes on to explain the tensions between Russia and the U.S. and how this uh, the diplomatic relations have destabilized over the tensions in Syria and how they continue to deteriorate as the ceasefire was brokered that um, both countries have backed away with and Russia continues to clash with Western powers over its policy in Syria. That's true. I mean, the Syrian angle is, is serious. but And the U.S. suspended negotiations with uh, Russia uh, on October 3rd, on Monday. Right. And we know that there's a big drill happening in Russia, and um, the uh, military guy that you know pointed out that it is a civil defense day in Russia, and that this is a reoccurring right, drill. Right, but, but we see a lot of hype, you know, from the Russian aggression, right. from fighter jets to the threat of nuclear war over the Middle East policies. Well, yeah, exactly. And here's what here's the takeaway from all of this. He's saying to us, "Hey, wait a minute, settle down, hold on." For once, for once, the mainstream media is actually peddling this fear porn, peddling the narrative, the operational uh, planning that, yeah, war with Russia is, like, going to happen tomorrow. It may happen tomorrow, but what he's saying is, wait a minute, hold the phone here a minute. No, 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 no. Look, the flybys, for example, uh, one uh, report, titled War Games, Panic as Two Russian Bombers Blast Across Europe Causing Four Countries to Scramble Fighter Just to Intercept Them. Look, what he's saying is this. Calm down, everyone. The Western media is actually pushing the agenda for war with Russia, nuclear war. They're saying Russia is the aggressor, that, 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 that uh, my goodness, we're being baited into World War III mm-hmm. by virtue of this flyover of four NATO countries by two Russian jets. And, and he pointed out, look at the map. It, it, that didn't happen. As a matter of fact, the Russian jets were actually in um, outside of air, the airspace, were in uh, international airspace. They were not provocative. It was not a provocative flyover of the four NATO countries. It was far from that. In fact, NATO planes fly a lot closer to the countries or or to Russian airspace than than these two Russian jets. So what he's saying is, hold on on a minute. For whatever reason, the mainstream media is um, has an agenda that goes far beyond anything that he's seen before. The mainstream media, and I'm going to quote him, what we are seeing here is an agenda that goes far beyond just the American mainstream media to build the case for war along the lines of just of the just cause, as we have seen over and over again within the past couple of decades, he writes. He's saying, he's saying I'm not saying that war couldn't happen tomorrow. Well, it certainly could. But what he's saying is that the groundwork is being laid, and everyone from the mainstream media to, to the alternative media to the average guy in the street is buying it. All right, it's being shoved down our throats. What they're what they're attempting to do, and now this is me talking here, is they're attempting to lay the groundwork for inevitable war with Russia. We've seen this happen in the past. Now, in March uh, March eighth of nineteen sixty eight, I often reference this. Um, there were false flags, as a matter of fact. Uh, there was a one big false flag that involved the Glomar, or not the Glomar Explorer, but the uh, the uh, Russian uh, K-129 sub that was going to fire a missile on Hawaii, a nuclear missile. It actually 
blew up in the tube, and, and hence the Glomar Explorer was dispatched uh, years later, uh, sometime later after Howard Hughes built the Glomar Explorer to recover the remains. But the reason I bring this up is because that was going to be the ultimate false flag where Russia was going to, in that case, and, and I stand by this based on my um, my uh, sources, my intelligence sources, Russia was going to blame a nuclear attack on China over the um, Southeast Asia war back in 68, Vietnam and such, and the aggressions there. So that was a false flag indeed. But in this particular case, looking at this, this is more of a media agenda, an agenda by the mainstream media, by the neocons in particular, to uh, justify or, or to paint the picture that Russia is the aggressor here and that uh, we must fight Russia. Gee, I wonder, you know, who in Washington, Wolfowitz, uh, uh, you know, might be wanting something like that, Cheney. Uh, who, who, who would ever want war with Russia military industrial complex? Who would ever want to do that? See, I gotta slip those in there because of the censorship from... People need to understand one of the globalist and elitist motto about war is that it's a racket. And yeah. that it serves as a, a functioning way to to jumpstart an economy or to steal money. Oh, to create money and steal money. And isn't it isn't it something when you know who, who are the winners? It's kind of like you go into the casino when, when you when you go into the casino and you play. Who, who's the winner when you go into the casino? It's the house. The house always wins. In this case, it's it's the military industrial complex, the neocons. And when I say neocons, don't 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 be thinking that it's oh it's the far right now. No, don't don't be thinking that. Not always. You've got many on the far left or the communist democratic national socialists who are pushing for war as well because who benefits follow the money the, the people who are behind the war machine and and the jobs oftentimes it's the right wing zealots when i say right wing that's not even correct because it's not right or left anymore it's the globalists and the nationalists it's the globalists or the and the non-globalists like how's that for a and, and, uh, analysis. Hmm. Uh, folks, Portions Nice Broadcast brought to you by Minuteman Stove. Have you gone to Minuteman Stove yet? Have you done that? Minutemanstove.com. Have you done it? Why not? Go there. Um, regardless of where we stand with Russia, there are n- numerous reasons why you you definitely need a backup cooking appliance. Uh, Heat appliance. The MinutemanStove.com is, in fact, the company that has the best, the best, bar none, the best uh, rocket stove in the industry. MinutemanStove.com. More on that later. And I also have to toss in here AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com as well. You want some good food? Good long term storable food? You know, it would be a lot nicer to have that storable food in your pantry long before that hurricane hits or long before that supply disruption takes place visit americansurvivalwholesale.com as well so you've got the food now you've got a method to cook the food well you want Mm -hmm. you want to sell pans and pots for you too do we need to do that we can do that anyway so Two things, uh, minutemanstove.com, certainly visit them and, uh, they've got some specials there. Get those before, get, 
get, get your minimum stove before they run out. And, and they're, they're pumping out a lot of stoves. So do that in americansurvivalwholesale.com as well for your long-term storable food needs. Now, I, I think we covered Russia pretty well. It, it's serious, but the, the, where it's serious is in Syria and what's taking place in Syria, but that's being started and, and continued by the globalists inside the United States, the John Kerry State Department following the, 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 the path of the Hillary Clinton State Department, following the orders of Barack Hussein Obama, who really is following the agenda of the Saudis, and we've been working for the Saudis, proxies for the Saudis, for how long? How many decades have we been been pushing the agenda of the Saudis? And that's what uh, that's what this entire Middle East is all about, the Arab Spring. That's what that was all about. Benghazi, Libya, Egypt, everything. It's the Saudis behind it, um, behind this this agenda. And that's why, too, Obama does not want to ruffle the feathers of the Saud, the House of Saud, uh, through the, um, um, what would you call it, through the uh, 9-11 legal suit. You don't want to do that. So, there you have it. We got um, uh, interesting news from the FEC commissioner. Dem, uh, Democrats reject call to protect Internet news, talk radio from regulations. In the latest partisan escalation on the Federal Election Commission, a top Democrat commissioner has ripped the Republican commissioner's bid to protect books, radio, and Internet media from regulations as pitiful. Anne Ravel, a former FEC chairwoman, joined other Democrats at a meeting this month to block Republican Lee Goodman's proposal to explicitly expand the press exemption from regulations to books, satellite radio, and Internet-based news media. In pushing his plan aside, Ravel said she didn't have enough time to consider Goodman's proposal. The proposal had been under consideration for a while, um, and what this was to do was trying to uh, protect journalism, internet journalism, independent journalism, and uh, even authors uh, from certain types of regulations that the Democratic, uh, the Democrats from the the FEC are trying to implement. And on this latest proposal. Uh, Goodman told Secrets that the latest attack on his proposal again shows that Democrats are hostile to free press rights in general, and in the past he noted that their antagonism to conservative media, which is heavily Internet-based on the radio, including Sirius XM, Ravel's pitiful comment appeared to refer to conservative news attention uh, rather to than Goodman's proposal. Once again, Commissioner Ravel has chosen to inject divisive rhetoric into an honest debate about the scope of press freedom in America. And this is an issue that is of uh, mass importance to everybody out there from us, uh, you know, sitting here doing this to you guys out there listening. Um, are we going to see at some point in the future, and I believe we are, expanded regulations, you know, that comes down on internet news, independent journalism, and even as they talk about in this article, into the world of uh, authorship in books. And they are not extending the press exemption and don't want to extend the press exemption from regulations to books or internet-based news media like ourselves. 
Yeah. And this is something that, uh, this is a war that's been ongoing as the, um, the commission is, uh, you know, for Democrats, for Republicans, but they, you know, we keep seeing these headlines pop up where they are attacking, um, the conservative right media, independent news media and internet media, um, just about every month now, uh, if not, you know, more frequently. And the, uh, regulations are something that are probably going to come down sooner than later, especially with the internet transfer of, um, power to an international body. And that's going to happen incrementally, I believe. I don't think we're, you know, I don't think that we're going to see this, um, the, the changes. There will be changes made. You're going to see some things, but it's going to be incremental to, toward the ultimate, uh, censorship of the, uh, the internet. And the internet's going to be around forever. It's just going to be around in a different format. Just right, like what's it going to look like? Right, exactly. Um, <clears throat> and again, the mass hysteria with respect to the change, changing of the internet. It, it's it's um, no one, you know, should be given to a, um, a sense of fear. However, we have to be realistic about this, and uh, we we have to say, okay, you know, what's it going to look like? And I think what it's going to look like is going to be a lot different than. What uh, it looks like now, the freedom is going to be much less, and we're seeing that. And we're seeing that as well. You see, what what happens is when we put up our, our shows on YouTube, for example, and this is a good good example. We put up our shows on YouTube. Uh, what people will do, and 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 these are these are people who many within the Christian community, actually, or self-professed Christians, uh, the arbiters, so-called arbiters of the truth and true Christianity, will come out and say, well. Uh, I don't like the way, I mean, they'll, they'll file a complaint based on how we say something or what we, you know, what we talk about with YouTube. And, and this works only for a few times, but it's enough to really gum up the works and gum up the system. So, you know, we're constantly, we are constantly fighting, uh, the, uh, content violation accusations. Mm-hmm. So, so, and, and again, this is going to happen to everybody on social networking as well. And the, you know, Ultimately. being demonetized on YouTube, um, I know that there was, I think it was, um, either John or Greg Jackson who sent over, uh, you know, you guys should interview this guy. Uh, they killed all my YouTube videos. And we've seen it with different videos that we have. Sure. Your content is not advertiser friendly and therefore will be demonetized. And that's just, you know, a regular, uh, show that we do. And I well, think that they're testing a show, but news and right. listener questions was right. was said. Oh, this violates their terms of service. And I think they're testing this, um, <laughs> yeah, through different you know people's organizations uh, to independent people uh, all across the board to see who pushes back against uh, their demonetization policy. That's right. And I agree. Well, another thing that's happening is when you do push back and you ask for reasons or you ask for them to reconsider. Um, they are not offering, you know, when you, when you copyright or use copyright material like music, they will give you a minute set and down to the second mark in the video. You know, you used a copywritten song at, you know, one hour and ten minutes into this video. Therefore, you know, we're going to demonetize your video due to somebody else's copywritten content being in there. What they're not doing with this new policy is being specific in telling you why they are demonetizing your video, other than the fact that they say it's not advertiser-friendly. Yep. 
And, and we went through this. Uh, we went through this with with our internet web hosting service, GoDaddy. Uh, mm-hmm. GoDaddy, I've got absolutely no respect for whatsoever. Um, they they, they uh, sent an email one one day and and uh, one night and said we had uh, seventy two hours, I believe it was forty two forty eight or seventy two hours to remove uh, to, to find another web hosting service. And that's when Steve Quayle introduced us to NitroHost, the the, the best uh, internet uh, web hosting service around, I believe. But but you know it, it was interesting because on the internet people were saying, well, he didn't pay a fifty dollar bill or some some stupid ridiculous thing when we produced the actual communication from GoDaddy and and showed the world. In fact, it, it got to the point where there, there was so much blowback from that, so much blowback from that. GoDaddy actually had to issue a statement about why they were kicking us off. And it was essentially that they just didn't want us on there. They didn't want to deal with, with, with our content. So the reason I bring this up, not, not to bring up old wounds, but we've been fighting this censorship, this, um, th- this whole process for years now. And it's not a matter of, oh, you didn't pay your bill or, oh, it was, uh, you know, so- something so egregious. No. But this is the new censorship. This is how, this is how that, uh, the censorship is going to really take root with all of you, all of us, all of us on the same side. And the conformance factor here, as we talked about last night, too, it's America does not have a problem with intolerance. America has a problem with tolerance. We tolerate too doggone much, and we allow too much to take place. This is one of those things. Anyway, so... Uh, watch for additional censorship. And oh, yes, we do have JD and, and I and Eric and Joe. We've been talking about uh, alternatives. And yes, we have alternatives. Uh, we're working on them uh, to sw- uh, flip a switch once the uh, once things go sideways. We are working on that. Can we tell you about it right now? Not really, uh, for a number of reasons. It's not 100% done. And, and number two, we're not not going to tip our hands to those listening. But you will know. Trust us when I say you will know. Uh, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work being done on this, and uh, it takes a lot of work, folks. Yes. It, it takes a, a lot of work. Um, it's not. It's and and th- that's fine. So, go ahead. And go ahead. Um, we have just a few minutes before our break, and we have another segment where we're going to cover more news from the vice presidential uh, oh, yes. debate to what is the latest with Hurricane Matthew, as there have been 11 reported deaths now um, associated with the storm, and it has yet to hit the United States or Florida. And there's questions now that are asked about Matthew from the uh, radar track. And I know it's days, you know, almost a week in advance, but they're saying the way that um, the co- there's a cold front coming from the north. Right. Uh, the way this cold front is coming down, it's going not. It's going to stop the hurricane from traveling up the east coast, as uh, initial models have shown. But if you look at certain models into a seven-day period, it's saying that there is a potential for Hurricane Matthew to come along, hit Florida, loop back around, and hit Florida a second time. Yep. But that's obviously uh, nothing that we're able to predict or or know for sure right now, as preparations for Matthew to hit Florida a first time um, are being looked at. And we will know by tomorrow at this time exactly where it will hit Florida uh, and well, what know, parts of uh, the U.S. it will hit. I was talking with J.D. early, early this morning. And, and yeah, he's, he's down there. Yeah, and so is Ted, Ted Brower. He's in Florida and others. But 
But when I was talking to JD, he said, you know, you should call John McTiernan because these, and I do believe this, when we as a nation, and folks, people might say this is not correct, but we, or, or this is all hype and nonsense. But remember Katrina. Remember we were engaged in, in, in messing with Israel. Mm-hmm. During Katrina, what are we doing today? Is there anything that we're doing today? You know, there was something uh, earlier in the week as Obama and the White House would not state that Jerusalem was part of Israel. Right, right. And it, I noticed yeah. that it was in correlation with this Hurricane Matthew as well. Well, you know, you can't convince anyone, and, and I'm, I'm of the uh, mindset right now you're not going to convince people who don't believe for example that there there's a reaction to to, to these kinds of actions when uh, when we as a nation affront Israel against the biblical um, mandate that we are to bless and not curse Israel then then I, I, I'm not here to convince anyone of that if you if people want to believe that there's no correlation between what happens here in the United States and our treatment of Israel, the nation, God's people, then fine. You know what? God bless you. That's fine. I'm not here to convince you. I'm not going to try. But look at the history. Look at the Katrina. Look at look at the, our meddling in the Middle East, with specifically with Israel. And, um, yeah, just keep chalking that up to coincidences. And the President, uh, Obama, made a statement at the U.N. last week where he talked about um, not allowing Israel to... Israel cannot remain settled in the Palestinian land, uh, something along those lines, and that was in the same uh, arena in which the uh, White House and the press corps of the White House you know, was playing with Jerusalem, saying it wasn't part of Israel. Um, and, you know, in other news, the as we talked about, we're going to be getting into a little bit of the vice presidential debate, the 2016 presidential election uh, continues to you know, come up. It's only about a month away, and we're just getting word days. that for uh, Clinton has a light schedule. She is apparently going to be in seclusion or hibernation until the debate on <laughs> until the debate on Sunday, as Trump continues to hit the campaign trail hard. CNN is actually reporting Clinton will be taking off until the debate. Uh, handing off her campaign stumping to her surrogates while Trump will be continuing a full day of campaign and rallies throughout the next coming days into the debate. Folks, we'll be right back. Stay with us. Back to the Hagman and Hagman Report. HagmanReport.com. That's HagmanReport.com for news information. Bookmark that. And Hagman and Hagman.com for the show venues. Social networking at Hagman Report on Twitter. And of course, Facebook is Hagman Report. Folks, uh, yeah, the first segment we were talking about Russia and about, uh, what the Russian linguist, the guest on our program, what he said and the, uh, the gentleman who had, uh, 
done a lot of the conventional arms inspection. I spent a lot of time in the Soviet uh, stands uh, before they uh, broke away from the Soviet Union in the uh, during the Cold War. And uh, he was saying, I just want to, just want to clarify this. It's the West who is pushing the Russian aggression or the Russian uh, uh, aggression angle. Yes, they want war. The the uh, globalists want war between the United States and Russia. Are we closer to war? Yes, but not for the reasons stated. Okay, that's kind of what I wanted to make clear. Not for the reasons stated. Not because Russia has violated NATO airspace. No, that's not true. They're, the mainstream media is being fed uh, information as puppets of the globalists globalist to make it appear that Russia is the aggressor here when in fact it's not the case. If anyone is the aggressor, it's the West and the West policies as we are supporting ISIS, as we are supporting the anti-Assad uh, people. Now, Assad's no angel to be sure, but nor was Gaddafi, nor, nor was uh, um, the Egyptian president. However, notice how we toppled those governments, especially Libya, in Egypt and, and installed that Muslim Brotherhood uh, uh, plant in Egypt that lasted for uh, for a short while. This is the intent, is the redesign of, of the power structure in the Middle East. And, of course, this adversely affects Russia, in particular uh, in Syria, because of the military and economic uh, interests of, of Russia in Syria and China as well. So as we look at this and as we hear these these paid uh, spokespeople these paid analysts come on Fox News or MSNBC or we you know hear the, the, the drivel from the lips of Rachel Maddow and from Chris Matthews on MSNBC or even some of the pro-patriotic stuff uh, from the right wing talkers you've got to balance this out with the truth because this is all this is we're we're being we're being fed a lie and fed a lies every step of the way. So we're not saying that 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 war is not looming upon us. What we're saying is war is being being thrust upon us for reasons that are lies for for because of lies because of, of the mainstream media. They're 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 not being truthful with us. For once, they're hyping the. Um, conspiracy theory, so to speak. Uh, Russia being the aggressor. No, no, they're not the aggressor in this case. So just to be clear, is war inevitable? I believe war is inevitable. I really believe that, but I don't believe it. Not, I don't believe that the terms that are being described here are the uh, would be the basis for the war. It would make it be the basis for us to believe us in the West to believe that there's just cause for a war, but that doesn't make it true. That's I just want to be very clear on that, folks. Minuteman rocket stove uh, in these uncertain times. Hey, ask anyone right now in the path of the hurricane. It just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for cooking food. Uh, we all need a way to cook and a method to, to process water, for example. A disruption in the power supply or fuel dis- distribution, that's going to put most people out of business or cause serious inconvenience to all of us. A Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. Folks, the Minuteman is small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove with a decent wood 
uh, small supply of wood. It is smokeless and, and fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because a Minuteman is so efficient, it cuts down your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth of what would be required of cooking the old-fashioned way. Don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Eventually, the supply is going to run dry and burning wood inefficiently, like over an open fire. It, it requires a lot of manual labor. The Minuteman solves all of those problems. It's easy to feed and easy to use. Prepare for your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It will make bad times much better. They're all handmade. And I like this. They're all handmade in the United States by 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 the great people in North Carolina. They're extremely rugged. It's a, it's a great company, great people who make your Minuteman rocket stove. They do come with a two-year warranty, folks. The URL there is MinutemanStove.com, MinutemanStove.com. All right, well, let's get into uh, some of the political news surrounding the elections. We have some stuff that uh, was up on, on Hagman Report today, Um pertaining to, to Bill Clinton. I want to hit something on Hillary Clinton, though. Um, Hillary Clinton, we saw the what WikiLeaks has been releasing from the uh, the hacks that show information into the Clinton Foundation, Gucci for, or Gucci for hacks into the Clinton Foundation, uh, WikiLeaks into the Democratic National uh, Committee, and there was a story about Hillary Clinton wanting Hillary Clinton wanting to drone Assange when yes. she was a, mem- a head of the State Department. But I don't recall that she says. I don't recall yeah, that. Clinton. I don't recall joking about droning Julian Assange. It would have been a joke if I had her. said it, but I don't recall that. Is what she said. And if you, uh, there was an interesting story on CNN about the uh, photographer who was in the. Um, Situation room with President Obama, the security staff, as well as Hillary Clinton, who came out and gave an interview, who even provided the pictures and showed, you know, the the clothes Hillary Clinton was wearing on the day where they sat around and talked about this. And uh, folks, you can just search, you know, for uh, what Clinton uh, for that story, and it is out there. But you know, there are new videos surfacing of her bobbling her head a little bit. We were kind of talking about this yes, off there. Yes. As she, uh, uh, there's a, the latest video shows her appearing to try to hear a reporter and she leans in with her head and she, from before that, you know, she was shaking her head yes, uh, seeming to agree with uh, or letting the reporter know she heard the questions. But as she was listening to hear, she continued to, to bobble her head and that was a, um, it's not so cut and dry as, you know, the the first video we see of her uh, shaking her head to the point where reporters are veering back. Very wrong. Very wrong. Yeah, there there is something definitely going on with her, um, and that's something we're going to, you know, keep our eye on. But there's news about the Clintons, both Hillary and Bill Clinton, um, and the, uh, the Democratic uh, Vice presidential pick Tim Kaine. I want to hit this piece on Tim Kaine first. Then we can get into some of the uh, what's going on with Bill Clinton, old and new, um, because you came across an interesting story about oh, Bill yeah. Clinton today. But yeah. um, folks, I don't know how many people heard this at the time it happened. I don't remember this, 
but this is a story from truthfeed.com. It says, flashback, Tim Kaine fired five police chaplains for praying in Jesus' name there you go. as governor of Virginia. And uh, it says, as governor, Tim Kaine fired five Virginia state police chaplains for praying publicly in Jesus' name. Virginia Governor Tim Kaine is defending why his administration forced the sudden resignation of the five Virginia state police chaplains because they prayed publicly in Jesus' name. Police Superintendent Steve Flaherty single-handedly created, then enforced, a strict non-sectarian prayer policy at all public gatherings, censoring and excluding Christian prayers, then accepting the resignation of five chaplains who refused to deny Jesus or violate their conscience by watering down their prayers. And this story goes into explaining how Governor Tim Kaine's role in terminating the chaplains and vowing to introduce legislation protecting police chaplains' uh, right to pray their own conscience, but without uh, without having Jesus involved in it. And Governor Kaine continues to, to campaign and uh, claim he's a Christian, but in his own state, in the past, uh, for using and praying publicly in the name of Jesus, he had five police chaplains resign for refusing to water down their prayers. Something to keep in mind uh, when, if you're still on the fence about who you're going to vote for. Now, there's news about Bill Clinton. There's been news about Bill Clinton in the last few days from his remarks about calling Obamacare the craziest thing in the world. Oh, you've got some really, really, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, he, he took Obamacare to task and that, that has a lot of people up in arms over the way he said it and, uh, yeah, or what he said and how he said it. Yeah. Bill Clinton slams Obamacare. It's the craziest thing in the world. Um, where it was his quote. And there is, uh, new information about Clinton on the campaign trail and, and some other things that he said that are, um, being put in the crosshairs. Bill Clinton blames capitalism, not NAFTA, for jobs going to Mexico. Now, this article is from yesterday on Breitbart, but former President Bill Clinton wants to blame capitalism, not his own creation and policy of NAFTA, for the, um, jobs leaving the companies, uh, jobs leaving America and going into other countries. One example he cites is the company Carrier, who makes an air conditioning uh, units, chose to close two plants in Indiana and move to Mexico. Clinton argued that the North American Free Trade Agreement that he signed was not the reason why so many jobs were going to Mexico. It is not what was going on at all, he said, saying the companies were making high profits but were forced to move to Mexico by company shareholders. This is a classic what's wrong with America today. Quarterly capitalism, he called it. He said the finance tail wagging the economic dog. According to Clinton, Carrier would save $65 million by moving its manufacturing plants to Mexico. Clinton suggested that his wife would help keep uh, corporations in the U.S. by giving them tax credits, uh, but did not address the overall tax and regulation nightmare forcing American companies overseas. Going back to being part of America, Clinton said, it turns out it's good for business. Now, he made his remarks in the beginning of a bus tour of Ohio campaigning for his wife Hillary Clinton at the University of Athens in Ohio. And um, it's just interesting to see his own policies as president, something he signed into law, the North American Free Trade Agreement, which we're seeing the big brother of 
the Trans-Pacific Partnership under the Obama administration, something actually Hillary Clinton has came out and talked out against um, in her latest remarks about it, but was behind it in initially. It's interesting, too, how Hillary or Chelsea Clinton had responded to uh, this statement by her father. She She was in Sioux City, I believe it was, uh, today, uh, Sioux City, Iowa, and she was, uh, she was, uh, given that question, or an audience, someone from the audience asked her about the question her father made, Bill Clinton made, and she deflected from that, that, that not wanting to get involved, and it's interesting to watch the politics at play here, Chelsea Clinton involved in uh, campaigning for her mother, but that's very interesting. Now, the, the first segment you talked about the F, I just want to go, go back to this because this is going to affect all of us. The FECs, um, uh, I want to touch on this again, uh, just to make sure that people understand this. Now, there's a few articles. The one on Drudge gets into the, uh, uh, different commissioners back and forth with each other more right. so than the, uh, amendment that was put forward or the, uh, the plan that was put forward and voted down. Well, there's a partisan escalation taking place within the Federal um, Election Commission. The FEC uh, war, Dems reject call to protect Internet news talk radio from regulations. And, and, and there is this partisan war taking place. There's a t- the, the top Democratic commissioner, ripped a Republican commissioner's bid to protect books, radio, and the Internet media from regulation. And, of course, the top Democratic head of the FEC called that attempt pitiful. Now, Ann Ravel is a former FEC chairwoman, joined other Democrats. In this case, we are going to call partisan uh, politics. Or we're, we're going we're to recognize the partisan nature of, of this argument. Um, she joined other Democrats at a meeting this month to block Republican Lee Goodman's proposal to explicitly expand the press exemption from regulation to books, satellite radio, and Internet-based news media, which is us. So we will be, as, as it stands right now, the trajectory of these regulations, we will be held to a very specific account. But see, what happens is, as well, so will other smaller um, um, concerns. Um, there will, however, be a cutoff uh, where some of the some of the bloggers, some of the YouTubers are, are, are small. They're just one person. They're not considered news or don't have journalist credentials or don't have the credentials, uh, perhaps that that we may or we have. Uh, that will be exempted from this. So it, this is not. The, I, I guess. I guess I really want to make sure people understand what's taking place here with, within the FEC. It's going to have long-range effects on all of uh, on, on all of us on the alternative media, which was when I say alternative media, I'm talking about the alt-right as defined by Hillary Clinton and no one else, by the Hillary Clinton supporters and by the. Democratic, National, Socialist, Progressive, Communist left. This is what's taking place. And this is a method of censorship. This is a method of takedown of the alternative media or the new media in favor of the mainstream media, the corporate media, the facilitators, the the, the, uh, co-conspirators of the globalists. So more on this in depth in future programs, but watch this 
Very carefully, folks. Very carefully. An interesting report from the Financial Times cites that world debt has hit a $152 trillion record, mm. says IMF. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a lot closer to the uh, $250 trillion uh, mark that most people, uh, most economists put the global debt, uh, derivatives debt, and other junk debt at. But calculation of burden highlights challenge of boosting growth. Uh, yesterday we talked about there's a 2016 annual IMF World Bank Group Summit that is being hosted in Washington, D.C. from October 7th through the 9th where the IMF World Bank and other economic leaders are going to get together to talk about uh, central bank and economic policy. But Financial Times is reporting the world is in $152 trillion in the red, a record-breaking level of debt according to the IMF. The figure, more than two times the size of the global economy, if that makes any sense, comes from the fund's latest uh, fiscal monitor and its official claim the most accurate measure of the world's debt burden ever calculated. Global debt is at record highs and rising, says Victor Gasper, Director of Fiscal Affairs at the IMF. I mean, they're taking down the entire global economy. It's just not the West. It's just not the U.S. dollar, although the U.S. dollar is a, a one of the ten poles of the global economy and a big one at that. They're taking down the entire globalist economy. Well, the IMF didn't know if, uh, Eric, I know you listen to Dave Ramsey, and I know you've heard, listened yep, to him in the yep, past. Yep. What's the number one way to get out of debt? Don't to, to repay it in this day. Well, yeah, right? I mean, right. The IMF, yep. the IMF did not call for rapid repayment of debt. It warned that in some countries, uh, Excessive private debt is the major headwind against the global recovery and a risk to financial stability, but at the same time did not call for the repayment of debt. They say financial recessions are longer and deeper than normal recessions in today's day and age, um, but the private debt is the often ends up triggering the financial crisis, basically blaming the private sector. It has nothing to do with the government's borrowing requirements and they're wasting of billions and trillions of dollars that they collect in tax revenues, they're trying to put this on the public sector, which on the private uh, sector in the public. Not they're, they're distancing the government from having, they say the government, if anything, has you know uh, helped the economy, especially in, in the United States, where we've seen a slow increase of... Um, uh, jobs and uh, a decrease in the recession, but it's just insane to read what they say. You know, the debt is going to crash the world economy, but don't pay it back. It's okay. Um, well, to, to pay it back, you know, I, I've often wondered, folks. Uh, and it's all the government. It's not the it's, private sector's no, debt. It's it's illegitimate debt, really. When, mm-hmm. when you come right down to it. Uh, b- before we, uh, Brandon House, by the way, is, is going to be just a tremendously interesting guest. He's going to be talking about, uh, a number of current events in his new book, of course, uh, uh, The Third Reich, but it, he's written it's, 13, it's 13 books. books. Yeah. So boy, buckle up for that interview. But one thing I wanted to say, Baghdad Bob, remember Baghdad Bob during the Iraqi, uh, hostilities, you know, the, yeah, he's come out. Or, He's come out and uh, and made some appearances apparently here. Well, Are you going to get into the? No, 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 no. It has nothing to do with Baghdad okay. Bob, except you know I feel like I'm living in under Baghdad Bob. Uh, I mentioned yesterday 
and taking my dog for a walk and seeing all, all, all sorts of uh, uh, Trump pen signs. You know, Trump I've signs. I've seen more uh, around our city. I, I am seeing so many signs for Trump that I, I've never before seen. I mean, it, they're just everywhere. Like in the last week? Yeah, and yeah. they're popping up. In fact, one was on a uh, uh, municipal park, at a municipal park, which I, I understand it's not legal. I didn't put it there. It's there. Uh, but, but so many have Trump signs. So I, I, the reason I brought this up is I, I was happened to be listening to Herman Cain briefly today, and there was a caller who said, man, I'm seeing Trump signs everywhere. No Hillary signs, but Trump signs. And, and that reflects my observations. This individual who called Kane was from another part of the country. We're from a different part. Um, I'm hearing from all sorts of people all across the country that, that these Trump signs are, are appearing in, in various locations. Very few Hillary uh, signs. The reason I bring this up is because if you listen to the news, if you listen to the mainstream media, it's almost as if you're hearing Baghdad Bob um, talking, oh, the, the race is really close, the polls, the people, the, the... I don't believe it's close at all. I think that the media wants you to believe it's close. I think that the popular opinion, and I understand the popular vote does not elect the president, however, it, it should based on the electoral the electoral college and the will of the people but but backing away from that momentarily i th- i think that the popular vote is such or the 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 polls that we're hearing uh, i don't believe any of it i don't believe that the race is tight i believe that more and more people believe that hillary clinton is not just a liar she's a criminal she's a sick criminal at that uh, she's more likely, more than likely, demon possessed, and I'm hearing people say that as well. Did so you see, uh, all of the news from the media is just BS. Steve, Don't believe it. Steve Quill has something up on a site about Rassange retaliates back, releasing oh, that, uh, yeah. Yeah. entire partnership documents from yes. board. Now um, yeah. we're going to be. I'm going to be looking at, at those documents. Just a brief synopsis uh, from what WikiLeaks released, and this is from their own. Uh, uh, release here it says that Hillary Clinton took cash from was director of company that did deals with ISIS. Yes. Oh, of and course. And they released the documents to back up and show that there uh, in the file a shady corporate firm in Paris, France that has linked to both Hillary Clinton and ISIS that Paris struck partnership with French industrial giant and now has been exploited for funding ISIS for profit. Yep. Documents indicate that uh Lafarge paid taxes. Madame Lafarge paid taxes to ISIS so they could operate its cement plant in Syria. They even bought oil from ISIS for many years, and Hillary Clinton has been connected to Lafarge for decades. She sat on the board of directors and conducted legal business dating back to the 1980s. She is yep. well in tune with the terrorist sponsor and has helped build them into what they are today. In 2013, Lafarge Executive Vice President for Operations Eric Olson was a featured attendee at the Clinton Global Initiative meeting. And it goes on from there. And as you said, this is something we'll be getting into more in uh, the coming days. Now, this story um, is very interesting. Security Council backs Antonio Gutierrez to be next UN Secretary General. Don't go go far away from the uh, uh, Assange uh, release of documents. This Madame Lafarge is, this is, this is important, folks. We are going to be going through the documents that, that are released, but, but the, the, uh, 
uh, and I think everyone has resigned themselves to the fact that Hillary Clinton and the Obama regime, the Clinton State Department, and in the in the center of all of this, the Clinton Global Initiative (CGI) as well as the Clinton Foundation is supporting has supported ISIS. But there's an even deeper side to this as we look at the people who are benefiting from the uh, foundation and also the 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 the, the nuances of the Clinton Global Initiative (CGI) that Bill and, and Hillary started years ago. Uh, I think that there is enough ammunition here that Assange released in this particular release to to support the criminality. I mean, I, it, there's no doubt mm-hmm. the Clintons and Obamas and even the globalists are supporting ISIS. And when and, and how can you even how can you justify that? How can you justify anyone supporting Islamic terrorists? But go ahead. But we're on this, folks. We're on this. Just the uh, there's been much speculation about the who's going to be the next UN Secretary General as Ban Ki Moon is uh, stepping down or is ten years up as uh, Secretary General of the United Nations, and that happens um, at the end of this year. And the United Nations Security Council has reached. A swift, they say surprisingly, swift consensus Wednesday on its choice for the next Secretary General, Antonio Gutierrez, a former Prime Minister of Portugal. He ran the United Nations Refugee Agency for 10 years and has been the clear frontrunner for the last several months. There's been a deeply divided Security Council, but it as it rallied around him, it was a clear signal that Russia and the West saw him as someone they could work with. Thirteen candidates, including a record seven women, had vied for jobs. Two had dropped out. Even The Economist asked in their uh, New Year publication, would this be the first uh, woman secretary general as a change of leadership was coming? But apparently not. Antonio Gutierrez, former prime minister of Portugal, will be the next UN secretary general. We'll be right back with Brandon House after these short messages. Stay with us. Thanks for tuning into the Hagman and the Hagman Report. I want to thank and welcome everyone listening from all across the United States. Thank you so much for tuning into our program. Thanks for your belief and your trust in us, um, as well as listeners from Canada. Boy, I heard from a lot of people from Canada recently, as well as people from Europe, South and Central America. We've got uh, people checking in from Australia, listening live, also listening live from uh, Germany. Not that that's not a part of Europe, of course, but um, in France, France as well. Thank you so much again for checking in with with us. We have got a, just a tremendous guest for you right now, uh, Brandon House. Have you heard the name? I bet you you have. You see, he's the author of thirteen books. He's been a guest on more than 2,000 radio and television programs. He's been featured um, in such publications as the Washington Times. I was featured there once as well and appeared on programs as the O'Reilly Factor and uh, with Bill O'Reilly on Fox News. 
We won't hold that against him, though. And he's the host of a national radio program that's broadcast nationwide each day from 1 to 2 o'clock p.m. Central Time. It's uh, broadcast on numerous Christian radio stations, and he's the host of the Worldview Weekend Hour. Uh, that's a weekly television program that's viewed on 112, 120, viewed in 120, uh, nations around the world for many years. He was the education reporter and frequent guest host of the Michael Reagan program, a friend of this show as well. Um, folks, Michael Reagan, he's the eldest, uh, son of President Ron Reagan, Ronald Reagan, and Brandon was the honored, uh, was honored to host Michael Reagan, Reagan's program of the week of President Reagan's funeral. So Brandon's got some connections. Um, due to his area of expertise, he was featured for many years as a frequent guest on the radio program of Oliver North, G. Gordon Liddy, Dr. James, uh, D. James Kennedy, Phyllis Sha- uh, Shafley. And again, we won't hold a lot of this against him. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's the founder of Worldview Weekend. Uh, which has organized Worldview Weekend conferences in more than 300 cities. Brandon House is a great guy. He's a prolific author, as I said. 13 books under his belt. I had trouble writing one. Yes. Um, but his, his one book, The Coming Religious Reich, caught my attention, folks. And I want to thank John Robertson for setting this up, too. Thank you, John Robertson. Thank you so much. But uh, The Coming Religious Reich... Very interesting to me, and and the little little blurb there about this: the Third Reich was bad, the Fourth Reich will be worse. That interests me, and we've got a many questions that I know Brandon House has answered in the coming religious Reich. But Joe, uh, uh, quite an interesting man indeed. Yeah, uh, author of, of thirteen books, yeah. and I don't know how many people remember this. In 2014, when we were at here at uh, the uh, Whitestone Conference in Montana, Whitestone? yeah, or was it? We yes, were in Montana, yeah. and Greg Jackson was guest hosting. He had brought on uh, Mr. House to to come on as a guest, and that was a, a fantastic show. Uh, yeah. Mr. House, it's great to have you back on the Hagman and Hagman Report. Well, it's great to be with you, and I thank Greg Jackson for uh, for uh, getting me on tonight, and you guys yes. getting me on tonight. Thank you. Hey, well, the, the check for fifty bucks is in the mail, and look, I, I'm you know I, I I promise to wash your car. Ah, yeah, I got to do that. You too. mean I get fifty so. bucks for being on here tonight? Shh, don't tell him. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, uh, Brandon, I'm going to tell you something. People are going to hear this and they're going to say, "Hey, I didn't get fifty bucks." Or, or well, you see, I told you. No, I, I, yeah, uh, we're we're kidding around. So for those okay, people out there. Yeah, for for everyone who's tra- or for those who are transcribing every word I say, and there are people that do that. Okay, um, it's a joke, uh, people. So anyway, but no, what's not a joke is the fact that you are a prolific writer and author. What a, a tremendous information! Your 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 book, the uh, the coming religious Reich, is uh, is something to behold. Uh, I must say, uh, wow. Um, well, thank did, you. Did we, do, do we do do we do okay with you with respect to the bio? Um, oh yeah, you're you fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay. didn't even have to do that. You just say here he is, and she start shooting the questions <laughs> at me. I'm ready to go. Well, okay. Well, you know what? Um, 
Why don't you give an opening statement? No, uh, I was going to say, being in the court here, uh, courtroom, uh, you can give your opening statement, but, uh. I want to, I would open with this. Yeah. Um, your book, The Coming Religious Reich. Can you give us a, um, just a brief summary of, of what you talk about for the audience in this book? Yeah. Uh, that's the third book in a trilogy. I wrote Grave Influence, uh, in 2008. And uh, 21 Radicals and Their Worldviews Ruling America from the Grave. So that's the philosophies of the day. Uh, the Bible tells us not to be cheated by the philosophies of men that are not according to Christ and, and uh, Colossians. And, and uh, so that's what that was. A look at the 21 Radicals Ruling America from the Grave. Grave influence. Their ideas. Margaret Sanger, uh, Charles Darwin, Frederick Nietzsche. <clears throat> you know, these ideas are alive and well, particularly on the campus of colleges. Nietzsche being one of the most read authors on college campus today, along with uh, Michael Foucault, a French philosopher, the two founders of postmodern thought, which, by the way, is quickly being replaced. Postmodernism is quickly being replaced after about 40 years with uh, what uh, Carl Tycrib calls uh, reenchantment, which would really be New Age thinking, spiritualism. But I then finished that book up, and I had a lot more left. And so I wrote Religious Trojan Horse, how those ideas of those 21 radicals have moved into evangelicalism religious as a religious Trojan horse. New Age ideas having a masquerade around them of Christianity, really making it white magic. Joel Osteen, I believe, promotes white magic. Much of evangelicalism today is promoting white magic. It's really occultism, New Age uh, uh, philosophies wrapped with twisted Bible verses, out-of-context scripture, uh, invoking the name of Jesus, invoking the name of God, invoking the name of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I think that a lot of what you see in the Word of Faith, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, this is nothing more than, than white magic. And we, can see, we see white magic actually showing up in the Scripture. The demonic girl uh, has a demon speaking from her. Her master made a lot of money with telling fortunes, and the apostles get sick of it and turn around and cast out the demon. But, it was, but even the demon said from her, uh, these are servants of the Most High who know the true way of salvation. True statement! True statement! Satan loves to claim Christianity garner an audience, garner credibility, and then undermine the gospel. So I went from grave influence to religious Trojan horse to the coming religious Reich. And the premise of the book is that much of modern-day evangelicalism, and I believe that includes much of the religious right, and I ran with the religious right for many years, uh, Jerry Falwell, uh, and I could go, name a lot of names, uh, people that... I knew them by name. The last time I saw Jerry Falwell, he called me by my name as my wife and I walked toward him at the uh, uh, inaugural ball for George W. Bush at the Texas-Wyoming ball. And I liked Jerry personally on a personal level and wrote for his magazine or his newspaper. It was on a TV show. But I began to become greatly disenchanted with the religious right. And that's the premise of the coming religious right. I believe much of modern-day evangelicalism, much of the religious right today, is laying the foundation with ecumenicalism, social justice, many other things we can talk about, dominion theology, and whether they know it or not or tend to or not, they're laying down the foundation for a coming world government, which is a right, empire or kingdom or government, right out of Daniel, right out of Revelation 17, Revelation 18, and it's, and it's going to be the so-called Christians. Already the persecution I get does not come from the atheist hardly at all. Uh, it doesn't come largely from the homosexuals. The, the persecution I get on a regular basis comes from the 
religious people, the same people that Jesus was uh, talking to in Matthew 5 and they were persecuting him. So the, the coming religious Reich is a religious empire kingdom, and many of these religious leaders of the day are laying the foundation for a coming religious world leader. You know, I, I really, uh, Brandon, I really like to, uh, I really want you to expand on that because we're seeing the same thing. The, 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 the deepest criticism, the, the most trouble, the, um, the lawfare, the warfare, the, uh, takedown, the attempted takedown w- that, that we are suffering or, or enduring or experiencing, whatever you, <laughs> is coming from not the, uh, not just or not merely the, the homosexuals or the, or the atheists or the agnostics. No. It's the people who are saying, no, we've got, we've got the right answer. We've got, we've got the, uh, Christianity on our side. We've got the right kind of Christianity. You don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's, it, it really, you know, as an investigator myself, um, and I've been an investigator for 30 years, I look at this not as a minister, pastor, or, or even a Bible, you know, someone who knows the Bible, but from an investigative point of view, and I, and I look at this and I'm thinking, wow, um, never expected this, never expected from this corner. So really expand on, on, on that, and why? Why is this taking place? Well, I, I think it goes back to the number one Jesus thing Jesus said in Matthew 24. He was warning his disciples that the, the thing they were going to see when they were asking him, what is the sign of your return, the second coming? Uh, he said, you know, you're going to have wars and rumors of wars and plagues and pestilence. But the number one thing that will mark the second coming is going to be false teachers, false prophets, false apostles, false Christ, false messiahs. And so Satan, again, always likes to take the Scripture and twist them. And everything that God has, Satan generally, for the most part, tries to duplicate. He wants uh, a kingdom, and he's working for a kingdom. And he will get a kingdom for a period of time, the Bible says. And in fact, Daniel 2.44 says that God's kingdom will come, and it will crush Satan's kingdom, and of God's kingdom there will be no end. And I think he will get that religious right, or kingdom, or empire. I think it will be based literally... 58 miles south of, of Baghdad in Babylon, where it all began, Genesis 10, Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, the mother-son cult, Nimrod, uh, Tammuz, uh, we have uh, Semiramis, the queen of Babylon, and we can get into the fact that this stuff is very prevalent in our culture today, but Americans don't even recognize the ba- Babylonian religious system uh, that includes the Statue of Liberty. And I know that sounds crazy to some folks, but I had to go do the research on it. And in my research, I stumbled on the fact that even the Congressional Medal of Honor Society says that the Statue of Liberty is Semiramis, the Queen of Babylon. So all of that to say, it go, it starts in Babylon, it will end in Babylon because Satan wants a kingdom. God will let him have a kingdom for a period of time. So he'll, he'll get a kingdom. He also has a false gospel. Christ gives us the true gospel. There is salvation apart from Christ for no one. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not by works, like the image of most, is a free gift from God. And, of course, the missing ingredient in most of today's gospel is repentance. And yet 2 Corinthians 6, 14 tells us, through 17, tells us that godly sorrow produces repentance unto salvation. And so we have a false gospel today, a man-centered gospel. And Satan loves that man-centered gospel. So he has a false kingdom, or a kingdom he's creating. He has a false gospel. He, he's going to get himself and does have false prophets and false apostles. Christ had real apostles. You had to see the risen Lord, be called of God. And uh, 
you could do miraculous things to lay down the foundational doctrine of the church and give validity to that message. But then those offices close. There is no uh, criteria for continuing in an office of prophet or apostle. We do see that for pastors, elders, bishops, overseers, but not apostles, prophets. But what did Jesus say? False prophets, false apostles. We see them everywhere. So Satan is going to get a kingdom. He has false prophets. He has false apostles. He has a false gospel. He has counterfeit miracle signs and wonders. And the Bible says it will deceive many. And it would be deceive even the elect if it were possible. But the elect can't be deceived. They're sealed. They're protected. They have discernment. So Satan's strategy, as we go all through the scripture, again, is hijacking the message of Christ, hijacking the gospel. And that's why we're going to really see the rise of spirituality in America and around the world. Most young people today will not say they're religious. Justin Bieber and all of them will, will say, no, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And what do we see postmodernism being replaced by? Really, new age thinking. The religious right, because they're so clueless, and I know many of them by name for many, many years, some of the most ignorant people I've ever met in my life, because why? They don't know the scriptures. And I was just as ignorant as they were until I realized I was a false convert and came to understand what is the real gospel, and through faith and repentance, uh, had my life changed. And then my hunger for the word, for studying, for understanding. And then I couldn't even run with these guys anymore because I realized what most of them are driven by, money, power, uh, greed. And so what we see today is the religious right running around still talking about secular humanism. That's not the great threat. It's spiritualism. It's new age. And so that whole moving to a spiritual thinking fits right with the counterfeit miracle signs and wonders of an uh, international leader. Glenn Beck is one of the biggest movers and shakers of this. He was just on with uh, he was just on with uh, uh, Chuck Todd on Meet the Press this past Sunday and was saying we Sunday. need a leader that will bring us together. Well, the, and he was talking, he was bemoaning how nobody can come together. Well, first of all, Glenn, you can't get together and find common ground with Marxists and the Black Lives Matter crowd, and you can't get together with the things of Baal or the things of Satan with God. But there's going to be a leader that will tend to do that, and it'll be an Antichrist figure. So even people like Glenn Beck are preparing the way for the Antichrist. And from, you know, Glenn Beck to what we see in, um, you know, so many of the churches in America today from the, the pastors, how, how have the pastors shifted from, you know, Bible-believing uh, pastors to this watered-down gospel we see in the churches today that, uh, you know, continues to promote, uh, you know, has take, removed itself from the realm of politics and, and of important issues that are considered controversial, and has but has taken up the mantle of this uh, social justice uh, and, and globalism outreach. Yeah. Well, you're dealing with a lot of guys that were never called. Uh, they needed an occupation. Uh, they couldn't succeed in life. They couldn't succeed in the real world. So they decided to go to seminary and become a pastor. And I've met so many of those guys. Uh, they, you know, it's, a, it's for a lot of guys. There's no accountability. They can do what they want, draw a salary. There's no accountability. They preach a little 20 minute uh, milk toast sermon, and, and it's a it's a nice life for most of them. The real guys that are doing it right, labor, and that's what it is. It's they're laboring in the word. And they're getting into the hermeneutics and getting back to the Greek and the Hebrew and breaking it down and interpreting it correctly. And it's a, and it's a laborious job, 20 to 40 hours to prepare one 45-minute sermon if you do it right. Uh, maybe if you've been doing it for 25 years, you can cut some of that time down based on the fact that you have years of knowledge in your head now. You don't have to study quite as much and then go down and break down every verse because you've done that so many times you now know off the top of your head what that verse means, you know, the Greek. And you know, But you do it right, it's laborious. And most of these guys were never called, 
so they have no hunger for the word, they have no hunger for studying, and so they go with whatever it appeals to the flesh, and they go with the trends, and today they're going with the trend of social justice, a social gospel, which fits right with the coming New World Order, because the social justice movement, the social gospel movement largely, was started by, the social gospel movement, was started by Walter Rogenbush, and Walter Rogenbush was a Fabian socialist. And his little friend that helped him start the Federal Council of Churches that became the National Council of Churches was Harry Ward. He was known as Harry F. Ward, or Harry uh, the Red Ward. He was a Marxist, but he knew he couldn't promote Marxism outright, so he decided to hang out with the Fabian Socialists. And any of your listeners who know about Fabian Socialism, you know their goal is, 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 is socialism by evolution, not revolution. Socialism over time. And your Fabian, Fabian Socialism was started in London in the mid-1800s. And Fabian Socialism, of course, gave birth to the Labor Party, Tony Blair. Uh, and the Labor Party and Tony Blair and Fabian Socialism is very much in con- a connection with what you would see with Rick Warren. Rick Warren, I wouldn't call him a Fabian Socialist because I don't think he belongs to the Fabian Socialist Society. But he embraces the same ideology largely, I believe, and that's what is called communitarianism communitarianism and that is mixing socialism with capitalism that is Keynesian economics that is Fabian socialism that is communitarianism that's internationalism it's statism it's globalism whatever you want to call it same thing and the ultimate goal is these people want to to work with all religions and that's what Rick Warren's doing he's admitting we've got him on video talking about working with the Muslims and the imams and the every religious group uh, to bring about social justice and so we see this ecumenicalism. We see him praising the Pope, singing the praises of the Pope, calling the Pope our Pope, talking about how he's excited about the re-evangelization uh, evangelization efforts of the Catholic Church, uh, giving interviews to EWTN and praising Catholicism. And there's very little difference between us, Protestants, and the Catholics. Baloney. So this is all laying the foundation for what you see in the Fabian window, which was created by George Bernard Shaw in 1910. And it's two men banging on a hot globe, a hot earth that's come out of a fire. There's some kind of crisis. They're holding it with tongs, banging it with hammers on an anvil. And at the top of the Fabian window that was unveiled by Tony Blair a few years ago, it was stolen. It showed up at an auction, returned to London. And Tony Blair, a Fabian and a Labor Party guy, unveiled it, sang the praises of Fabian socialism, of the Fabian Party, admitted the Labor Party came from it. And what are those guys doing? banging on the hot earth on some kind of crisis, and above at the top of the stained glass window, what does it say? Remold it nearer to the heart's desire. They're using the crises to remold the world, and that includes social justice, ecumenicalism, a social gospel, which goes right back to Walter Rogenbush, and Rick Warren and all these pastors are, quote, pastors, hirelings is what Jesus would call them in John 10, is what they're really up to, and they're laying the foundation for destroying the church. And that's why you see churches going from traditional transitional, transformational. They start out as a traditional church, and maybe were for many generations, and then all of a sudden they're in transition. And people wake up and they realize, this is not the church that my father built. This is not the church my father helped build. This is not the church my parents or grandparents or great-grandparents were charter members of. It's gone from traditional, transitional, and then total transformation. It's now a watered-down, false church, false gospel, social justice, which is socialism, a creation care, radical environmentalism, and it's a false church that Jesus warned about. And Rick Warren is the father of much of it, and I go into great detail in my book, Religious Trojan Horse and the Coming Religious Reich, 
on how Rick Warren and people like him are helping do this. By the way, Rick Warren, we have him on video admitting the most powerful thing, hands down, to the growth of the church is the annual campaign. Not the preaching of the gospel. Christ, we see in the scriptures that the, the gospel is preached. You preach the word, and God adds to the church as people are being saved. No, that's not what Rick says. It's the annual campaign. And we have him in another video saying, where did he learn the power of the annual campaign? Where did he learn this annual campaign? From the communists. And, and by the way, Pastor, he says, you can pick up a copy of this book written by this former communist who became a Christian. He actually became a Roman Catholic. Well, then guess what? He didn't become a Christian, because Roman Catholicism and the Jesus and the gospel of Roman Catholicism is not the Jesus of the Bible. So we are moving quickly for all the religions to merge, the economic pedestal, the government pedestal, and the business pedestal for communitarianism. And Rick Warren is largely the band leader in evangelicalism for it. Wow. Okay. Folks, we're talking with Brandon in the house. Uh, very prolific author. His website, world, or I'm sorry, yeah, worldviewweekend.com. Uh, author of 13 books. Uh, uh, I, Brandon. Hey, by, 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 let me just say, if they if they go to worldviewweekend.com or worldviewradio.com, a shorter URL, worldviewradio.com, they'll find our bookstore, and in there they'll find Grave Influence, Religious Children of Horrors, The Coming Religious Reich, and they'll also find them as audiobooks, and they can even find them as an ebook and download them right away. And and everything I say is documented. I've built my reputation with footnotes, and Religious Reich has over 600 footnotes. Uh, Religious Reich is, is, or well, uh, that uh, in in addition to the um, Grave Influence, I think are are two, well, they're all great books, but two of the most important books. You know, I'm I'm looking at this, again, from an investigative point of view, and uh, from my vantage point as an investigator, nothing else. And I'm, I'm looking at the world as it is right now, and you have successfully, in my view, you have successfully um, gathered and presented information, the agenda of all of these globalists, these Fabian socialists, and, and we're seeing everything that you've put together is offers people uh, insight into the into what's taking place today. You name names, uh, you provide the history, you provide the current uh, events. And I, I don't mean to, like, like, you don't really need my authentication or my validation for this, but I'm just looking at this from a guy, just a simple-minded investigative investigator right now. Um, you connect the dots in all of this, and this is amazing. So what you're saying, to, what, I, what I'm hearing you say is, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. And this is based on a review of your books. And folks, you've got to, his books are, 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 I mean, they connect the dots. Everything we're seeing today is the culmination of an agenda that began long ago. And the people who are operational today, um, well, I, I guess they're, they're conspirators, co-conspirators, but they are building their empire, um, well, how would you say it? They're building their empire based on the, uh, the the backs of the real Christians, or or at the expense of the real Christians, or Christians who. Well, I would say uh, the expense of Christians who are either baby Christians, new Christians, immature Christians, and and don't know that they're being duped, and then a lot of them turn into programs like this. Hear me, mm-hmm. hear you, mm-hmm. read books, uh, hear good Bible teaching. Maybe hear someone actually breaking down the scripture. Uh, you know, for the very first time in context, verse by verse, and they've never heard anyone teach scripture like that, and then their eyes are awakened. And I had a young man in our community, uh, I ran into him, my wife and I were out having a hamburger 
one night and, and his wife, they're in their 20s and I'm 47, but they were sitting close enough to us at their table. I mean, literally being six inches away, the tables were crammed in this little hamburger joint. And we started up a conversation and it's the Bible Belt where I live outside of Memphis and uh, found out what church they went to and it's a secret sensitive church. And I didn't say anything. And uh, I started, you know, sharing with them uh, some things. And then he asked me what I did. And I told him, and I started up a conversation. Long story short, we got together. And they came to our home for a meal. And he said, I'm really studying the scriptures, breaking down the scriptures. I, I'm really trying to study the Bible for the first time in my life. And we became friends. And I never criticized his church or said a word because I thought, you know, if he's really studying the scriptures, he's going to figure it out all on his own that the church he goes to isn't worth a pitcher of warm spit. And uh, uh, pretty soon he did. He said, he texted me, he said, um, can you tell me the problems, all on his own, can you, text, can you text me back and tell me the problems you see with the church I go to if you see any? <laughs> I said, sure. I said, why don't you just call me? And he calls me, and I started rattling off what's wrong with his church. Secret sensitive, no clear gospel, no clear Bible teaching, not fulfilling the biblical mandate of a New Testament church, not qualified leaders who meet the qualifications in First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus to be elders and bishops and overseers. Uh, Ephesians 4, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, serious Bible teaching, not social justice, not creation care, not evangel uh, 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 radical environmentalism, but evangelizing the, with the true gospel, but equipping the saints for the work of ministry and then sending them out. Not, not bringing the unbelievers into the church and say, how can we entertain goats? No, you train the sheep and send them out. And he right. said, well, that's everything I've come up with. Long story short, he's now left that church. So... Hold that thought, Brandon. We're up against the top. We're up against the break. Uh, that's the last for three minutes, and then we'll be right back, folks. You're listening to Brandon House, WorldViewWeekend.com. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Talking with Brandon House, his website, worldviewweekend.com. He's the author of 13 books and uh, has done so much more. He's uh, uh, a host of a national radio program that is broadcast nationwide each day from 1 to 2 p.m. Central Time on numerous Christian stations. He's done interviews on some of the top programs on cable TV and on the radio uh, with some of the uh, most sought-after guests and is definitely a well-versed and very smart man as we just completed our first segment with Mr. Brandon House. Again, his website, worldviewweekend.com. Uh, Brandon, right before the break, you were talking about a man you struck up a conversation with at a burger joint who was asking you advice on why his church was failing. Did I get that right? That's right. Well, we start up a friendship, and then they came to our home for dinner a couple weeks later, and 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 then he, I gave him a copy of my book, Twisted Scripture, Twisted Theology, and he he was about six months later. He had just been devouring the scriptures and studying them in context, and realizing how how is it you study the Bible? And he came to realize that he was not sitting under expository Bible teaching. That he that his, the quote church he went to was really just a. Uh, place to get a nice little sermonette, but their whole emphasis was social justice, creation care, environmentalism, you know, we've got to bring all the uh, unsaved people in here and, and try to try to add Jesus to their life. And he's saying, wait a minute, why don't we just teach the Bible, train up disciples, and then send them out to evangelize, because I'm, I'm reading from the scriptures 
that that's the model of the New Testament church. So he texts me and says, hey, can you tell me what you think is wrong with the church I go to? So I, I said, it'd be easier if I just told you, call me. So he calls me. And he w- w- wanted to know, because the next day he was meeting with the senior pastor, and he said, the things you're saying are exactly the conclusions I've come to. And he was going to meet with the senior pastor to explain to the senior pastor why he was leaving that church. And, and then there was another young man about five years ago in his early 30s who did not consider any of these things. And he got a copy of my book, Religious Trojan Horse. He actually got a copy of the manuscript. He's a police officer in my town. He's now a police detective. And I let him read the manuscript of Religious Trojan Horse, and he had never knew anything about Rick Warren. And as he read this about Rick Warren and the Religious Trojan Horse, what's going on, he then also read the chapter on what are the hallmarks of a New Testament church and the qualifications. And then he started reading more and listening to more. And like this other young man, he was like, wait a minute. No one's ever taught me how to study the Bible. So he learned how to study the Bible, and I helped him and pointed him to some some, goal, some basic steps, ten or about eight to ten steps on how do you study the Bible. Pretty simple stuff, but once you learn those eight to ten tools, you can really study the Bible as a layperson. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to know Greek and Hebrew. You can take advantage of Bible software and concordances and break down Scripture and what you'll find is that your pastor most of the time doesn't have a clue what he's saying, and he's ripping scripture right out of context. Well, as this other young man, who's now a police detective, was doing that, he sat under his Southern Baptist pastor, found out the guy could hardly teach the scripture in context. He finally got sick and tired of the secret-sensitive model, what was going on, realized this is not what the goal of the church is, and left, and now goes to a Bible-teaching church as well. So what I'm saying is I'm finding that a lot of folks are figuring it out, on their own in regards to you just got to introduce them to how to study the Bible and who are the players and what are they doing to transform the church and what are they doing that's not the model of a New Testament church and if they're really thinkers they're going to figure it out like these two guys did on their own I didn't have to bash the church they were at I just had to point them in the right direction let them let them do a little growing on their own and then answer their questions and both those guys have bolted uh, and totally understand what we're saying tonight um, that's very interesting, and you know a lot of pastors. You're right; they uh, it seems that the they don't know what they're talking about in many of their sermons. I've uh, you know witnessed myself the taking scriptures out of context and and using them in ways that they they should not be used. Um, if we can just take a step back real quick, I want to ask you: um, we are in a country here that has made a a distinction between you know church and state. Even though it's not in the Constitution, it's, it's, uh, you know, many people believe it is constitutional that there's a separation between church and state. This, uh, you know, new Reich, the religious Reich you're talking about, and the, um, uh, the merger, the interfaith merger, are, is this going to be a, a new state religion that we're seeing, this spiritual movement? Well, that's a very good question. I don't know if it'll be a state religion, but it will be eventually an international religion. Absolutely. And let me just give a great quote by a guy many years ago uh, whose name was Vance Havner. I had the chance to hear him preach as a uh, small child uh, living in Northern Virginia. And Vance Havner said, the devil's not fighting religion. He's too smart for that. He's creating a counterfeit Christianity 
so much like the real thing that good Christians are afraid to speak out against it for fear they're fighting against God, and and they won't oppose it. And that's exactly what we see happening. So I think what we're going to see is more and more of this milquetoast false Christianity, false gospel grow. It does get results. Pragmatism does work for many of them. They fill these churches up with these goats, and they get a big church going and a big salary and a lot of book sales. And so other people copy that, thinking this is what you're to do. I don't know if they will have a state religion, but eventually it'll be international, and no one will be able to buy or sell unless they have the mark and worship the beast. So the Bible tells us there will be an international one-world religious system, there will be a one-world economy, there will be a one-world government. So yeah, a one-world religion, a one-world economy, one-world government, and it will all hinge eventually on the worship of the Antichrist. And I think that is after he has... um, uh, I think that's after he has destroyed the false church. I think in in the book, The Coming Religious Reich, I lay out that what you see going on in Revelation 17 and 18, particularly 17, uh, Revelation 17, verse 15, is the destruction of the of the um, woman uh, who sits by the waters, or it's called the great harlot. Revelation 17, 1 starts out talking about this great harlot who sits on many waters, and many waters is the people. And then after John, under inspiration, describes this woman, or this great harlot, I should say, who sits on many waters, which is the false dominant church, he then has a change, scene change, and he's carried away by the angel, and he sees another woman. This one is sitting on a scarlet beast. And so you have two women right there in Revelation. The first one is called the great harlot. She's a false dominant church. Then there's a scene change, and John describes uh, this woman riding a scarlet beast and what she's dressed in. And then you get over to 15, chapter, uh, verse 15 of Revelation 17, and you see that the Antichrist and his world assistants devour the great harlot, that woman that was, that was uh, uh, sitting on many waters in verse 1 and 2. That leaves only the woman riding the beast, the beast being the Antichrist, and the woman, the rise of the beast, being Babylon. Babylon. In fact, the scripture tells us it's Babylon, and it repeats it in chapter 18. So yes, there'll be a false dominant church. It will, it will be a one-world religious system, much like we see today with this spiritualism, social justice, dominion theology, uh, creation care, very new age, Jesus, ecumenicalism. Then after this world leader uses it, like all politicians use a religion, like Ted Cruz used a religion, and I was warning about Ted Cruz in early 2015, but too, some people are too ignorant to see it. But every politician uses religion, like Ted Cruz and the rest of them. And then when they don't need it anymore, they, they, they push it aside. Antichrist will do the same thing. And he'll devour her and eat of her flesh and make her naked, the scriptures say. And what he's going to do is then set up a new world religion. And it's going to be the worship of himself. And Babylon, 58 miles south of Baghdad, will become his spiritual Jerusalem. God will rule his kingdom during the millennial reign from Jerusalem. Satan wants an earthly kingdom, and he will get a spiritual Jerusalem, but it will be in Babylon, 58 miles south of Baghdad. So he will use a false dominant church. He'll destroy it per Revelation 17, verse 15. He then sets up himself to be worshipped, and that's the new world religion, and no one can buy or sell without the mark. So I don't know that we'll have a state religion, but I think America will be absorbed into a North American union, perhaps, but we'll, we'll be absorbed and we'll be part of this international union. Already, by the way, the European Union Commission has already divided the world into 10 regions. And I believe, as I lay out in the book, The Coming Religious Reich, 
that the European Union will be the dominant union, and the other nine will be subservient to the European Union. I think that's exactly what we see in the book of Daniel. I think that's exactly what is coming to pass now as more and more power shifts to Europe. America is being shoved up underneath Europe. George W. Bush, uh, in the final days of his presidency, shoved us up underneath the Financial Stability Board, the International Monetary Fund. Uh, I mean, this Dick Morris was even writing about these kind of things back in 2009 and, and how these, the European system is going to dominate America. We're seeing America decrease. Europe is rising. Yes, they're having problems, but they're going to hold together. It's going to be what the Bible says, brittle, strong and brittle. It's going to be iron and, and clay. It's going to be hard to hold it together. But eventually, they're going to be a dominant system, the European Union. The other nine regions that the European Union Commission has already laid out, which I think will include America in that, will be subservient to this European system. And that's exactly what, um, what, what uh, Cecil, Rhodes, uh, Cecil Rhodes wanted. And Cecil Rhodes uh, set, went to Oxford. He sat under the teaching of a man at Oxford. And this, this man, by the way, ended up having a swastika on his, on his tomb, and that was before Hitler, because the swastika is really an occultic symbol. But he, he sat under the teachings of this, this man at Oxford, uh, Cecil Rhodes did, which was the teaching of the idea of a world government based out of Europe. Cecil Rhodes took his wealth from the De Beers gold mine and diamond mines and set together a, 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 a trust to train young people in education, media, government, to push them into power, to push for world government out of Europe. Another man that was influenced by this same teacher at Oxford was not only Cecil Rhodes, but it was also a man uh, that went on to help start the Fabian Social Society uh, with his wife, Beatrice Webb. Beatrice Webb was his name, and Mr. Webb and Beatrice Webb helped start the Fabian Social Society. They were both influenced by the same man at Oxford, world government out of Europe. That's exactly what we see going on today by the European Union Commission, and that's why America is decreasing. That's why the Fabians, the communitarians, uh, are bringing down America. They've got to destroy the capitalist haven of America and redistribute the wealth and make Europe, Europe rise. And that all fits with Bible prophecy, which will be this coming global religious Reich. And eventually, after you see the destruction of Islam in Ezekiel 38 and 39, then the world religions can melt. Once the Christians are gone, they're, they're, they're either raptured, if you believe in a preacher rapture, or a lot of them are slaughtered. And then you have the, the Muslims wiped out in Ezekiel 38 39. God wipes them out, it says in Ezekiel 38, uh, for his glory, so the world will know he is Lord. Antichrist... Uh, we'll take uh, credit for that. But that now w w takes out everything that stops from a world religion occurring. The Christians are gone. Uh, the, the Jews are being slaughtered by Antichrist. But, but before he turns and slaughters them, he's going he's gonna to make a peace pact with them, and he's going to go along with them, and you're going to have a world religious system. So it's all falling into place if you start with the Scripture. Don't start with the paper. Start with the Scriptures. And then look and say, is what's happening in the paper helping to line up? But the answer to your question is we're going to an international world religion, and it'll be tied right in with government, and it'll be tied right in with the economy, the three-legged stool. Brandon, I, I know you don't have a crystal ball, and I'm sure you get this question a lot. Um, just humor me on this. Uh, how, okay. far down this how, how far down this road are we? We're a long way down this road. Um, I, I, I don't set dates, as, and I'm not, I know you're not asking for that, but you are asking for kind of a timetable. And, and I can't really give you one other than to say we're way down the road for this. 
Um, look, I, I studied this stuff for years, and it's to the point now I can't cover it all. Um, I can't keep up. It's moving so fast. And what's so fascinating about that is Revelation tells us, the very first chapter of Revelation, fascinating book, uh, and it's not that hard to understand if you take the time to understand it, uh, and if you study it in context, uh, and you use Scripture, interpret Scripture, Scripture to confirm Scripture, and you go back and use Daniel and the other books that are necessary to understand Revelation. But Revelation chapter 1 says, first of all, there comes a special blessing for understanding this book. I'm not aware of any other book in the Bible that says there's a special blessing for understanding that book per Revelation. That's a blessing that comes to those who seek to understand it. But then it also says in chapter 1 that when these things begin to happen, and the word that is used in the original is when these things begin to happen, they'll happen quickly. Quickly. We are now starting to see this speed up. And things are moving very, very quickly. I mean, just look at all the things that have happened in the last few years. Gaddafi is gone. Gaddafi is out of Libya. Libya is going radical. The leader of Egypt, who has left Israel alone, he's gone. Uh, we've seen more turmoil in Egypt than in another leader. We see what just took place in Turkey, a largely a secular government in a Muslim land, but a secular government. You have this so-called coup, probably manufactured, probably wasn't real. Erdogan then uses that to become a religious government. All of these nations that are talked about in Ezekiel 38 uh, are there. The very nations, Russia, Rosh, Persia, Iran, Libya, uh, you know, you, you, we, we, Turkey, they're there. And are those in the news? Yes. Are they going more radical? Yes. Is Russia making a pact with Iran, a military pact for the first time in world history in the last few years? Yes. Another military agreement in the last few months? Yes, with, related to armaments. Um, you've got uh, Russia working with uh, Syria. Uh, I mean, the, the things that are going on, oh, by the way, R Russia, Russia is becoming more and more Muslim. About 40% of the Russian military is now Muslim. By 2050, the dominant people group in Russia will be the Muslims. Uh, Putin is catering to the Muslims, yet he claims that they're at war with Muslims. But I have a whole presentation I just delivered recently uh, called the Marxist and Muslim Coalition, the rise of the Marxist and Muslim Coalition in the last days. Putin uses Islam. He has trained many of the top leading terrorists in the world through the Kremlin. Uh, Awadari, number two to, to uh, bin Laden, he was a KGB agent. Many believe that uh, Saddam Hussein was a KGB agent. Uh, much of what you see going on with Islam, these Muslims have been KGB agents, and this is not a matter of conspiracy. These are former KGB agents, some of them who I have interviewed, who now live in America that are saying this. The man that was, that was uh, given the plutonium in his tea, Alexandria, how you say his Russian name, he was trying to expose a lot of this, and he ended up, I think, being offed by Putin. But the point I'm making is Putin tells the Russian people, Islam, oh no, look at the explosions in the apartment buildings that have been blown up. There seems to be some credibility that the FSB, which is the old KGB, was actually blowing these buildings up themselves, blaming it on the, 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 the Muslim terrorists, so that the Russian people are afraid of the terrorists and they need Big Papa Putin to protect them. So they go along with all of his rich friends and how he's gained his wealth and go look at how wealthy he is and ask yourself, where did he get all that money? And nobody's paying attention to all the government corruption because they don't want Putin to go away because they need Putin to save them from the big bad terrorists. So he uses the terrorists as a wolf while he actually is training the terrorists. And the terrorists go along with it because they are all joining together, the Marxists and the Muslims, to destroy their shared enemy, Israel. 
Israel and America. And that's that coalition you see now, and that's that coalition you see in Ezekiel 38. So it, we are way down the road. I, I don't know. Can this go on for another 20 years, 25 years, 50 years? I guess so, but I don't really know how. I mean, somebody's going to have to stop to slow this thing way up and put us in a holding pattern because it's moving fast, real fast. Uh, if we can move back, uh, Brandon, to something you said earlier about Baghdad um, being, uh, or Babylon being in Baghdad, uh, 58 miles south of Baghdad, I'm sorry. Um, mm-hmm. What is the biblical and extor- historical significance uh, of this uh the setting up of this kingdom in uh, of Babylon back in Iraq, uh, south of Baghdad. Yeah, well, uh, you've got Tower of Babel, Genesis 10, Genesis 11, Nimrod, becoming mighty on the earth, and he builds Babylon, and he builds the Tower of Babel, and they're rebelling against God. This is the grandson of Noah. And we don't see this in the scripture. We see this from extra-biblical writings from people like the ancient Jewish historian Josephus talking about the fact that the reason they built the tower so tall was because uh, Nimrod, the grandson of Noah, obviously knew about the flood. And this time God wasn't going to get them, so they'll build a tower so the floodwaters can't reach. Now that's what Josephus writes. That's not in the Bible. That's coming from the ancient Jewish historian Josephus. Whether that's really true or not, I'm just telling you some, some interesting facts. But they're rebelling, and they're, they're wanting to be in power. And God had told them to spread out all over the world and procreate, but no, they're going to consolidate their power in one place. And they build this tower. And what's so very interesting is if you go tonight onto any search engine, you type in the European Union and the Tower of Babel, you're going to find that the, the Parliament building in Brussels looks like the Tower of Babel unfinished at the top. You're going to find that they had a poster a few years ago, uh, Europe, and it talked about uh, many tongues, one people. Um, and it was the Tower of Babel painting from the mid-1500s that everybody recognizes, and they mimicked it. So they're even using the Tower of Babel imagery in their own publications. Uh, you've got a woman riding the beast there in Europe. You've got it on their stamps. You've got it on their some of their currencies, Europa. Um, so the symbolism is quite ironic uh, that they're doing this, and they're consolidating their power where? In Europe. And where will it eventually end up? Uh, I think it will eventually end up 58 miles south of Baghdad in Babylon. And right now you think that's crazy. It's too tumultuous. But it is going to stable out, particularly after, after Ezekiel 38. If the Muslims are wiped out, and largely will be, and the debt of Israel's enemies will be so great, it says that it'll take them seven months to bury their dead inside their own borders. So you're talking about a lot of Muslims taken out, and that's going to free up that area to stabilize and create a world government. And what's interesting is, as I document in my book, Becoming Religious Right, we have people at the Army War College and other guys with big, fancy military degrees saying we should move the United Nations to Babylon. We should move the United Nations there. That's what they're saying, uh, and that this would help stabilize the region and be a great place for world government. We already have people talking about building uh, amusement parks and hotels there. Now, again, look at how fast Dubai went from being nothing to what it is today, and that can happen in Babylon, and I think it will, and it'll be that same area where you had the Tower of Babel, Genesis 10, Genesis 11. And that's why you see in Revelation 17 that it says you have the mother of harlots, the mother of harlots. Well, if she's the mother, who are her children? Well, you go back to Genesis 10 and 11. You have these religions that were birthed at the Tower of Babel, and this this idea of the mother-son cult. Nimrod is mentioned in the Bible. He's coming mighty on the earth. He builds Babylon. Genesis 10 and 11 disguise this. Something happens. He dies. We don't know how. 
But we do see in the scriptures some other figure. She's called the Queen of Heaven. No, Catholic Church, that's not Mary. That is Semiramis, the Queen of Babylon. We see in the scriptures the children of Israel are weeping for Tammuz. They're baking cakes to Tammuz. This is the son of the Queen of Babylon. You see, the story goes that Nimrod dies. We don't know how. She gives birth to a son, but the son that she gives birth to is really uh, Nimrod reincarnated because he becomes the sun god, and he impregnated Semiramis as through a sunbeam. So what do you have? Immaculate conception. Now you have the sun god becoming man. Immaculate conception. Sound familiar? God, Emmanuel, flesh, the God-man. See, Satan, hundreds of years before Christ, is mimicking a false gospel. And so Nimrod dies, goes to be the sun god, impregnates his wife, Semiramis, so Babylonian uh, paganism says. She gives birth to Tammuz. Tammuz, her son, dies, killed by a wild boar. She weeps for him for 40 days, and he's resurrected. This is where you get Lent from. Lent is not in the Bible. And thus is born the mother-son cult. And this is the images you see that people say, oh, that's Jesus and Mary. No, it's not. It predates Jesus and Mary. Many of them are 600 B.C. I could take you to the museum in Baltimore and show you a little statue, Egyptian statue. Looks like Jesus, supposedly Jesus and uh, Mary holding baby Jesus. No, it's the mother-son cult 600 B.C. before Christ. Satan is setting up a false system. Where? Babylon. And that's, of course, where you get Easter from, which is Istar. Istar. That's where you have these words of Baal and Ashtaroth. Uh, these all are the false gods of the children of Israel. When King Ahab falls in with Jezebel, and they start worshiping. Uh, th- that goes right back to, to top the Tower of Babel. And so when it says in Revelation 17, the mother of harlots, well, who are her children? The children are all the false religious systems that started the Tower of Babel. God confuses their languages, and so they spread all over the world. And that's why you have this mother-child figure in all of these cultures, in all of these paintings, in all of these sculptures. Why do they all have the same mother-son painting and sculptures? All coming from Babylon, different names, Osiris, Ashtaroth, Baal. And isn't it interesting that the god of the Freemason, of Freemasonry is Jehovah, Jehovah, Osiris, and Baal. Osiris and Baal are your names for Tammuz or Nimrod that they swear an allegiance to. And isn't it interesting, the Masons with the Shriners have on their little red fez the crescent moon and the, and the, and the sword of Islam, and they, which all dates back to the killing of Christians in Morocco and dipping their little fezes in their blood. And yet, what do we see today? The Southern Baptist Convention is filled with Freemasonry. One report has hundreds of thousands of men of the largest Protestant denomination belonging to the Freemasons. And in 1993, so many Masons turned out to the Southern Baptist Convention, they could not get a resolution passed condemning the occultism of Freemasonry, even though many of them uh, uh, know at the first stages, they must open their shirt, have a sword put at their throat, have a blindfold put on, say they're lost in darkness and need the light of Freemasonry to save them, and do this bow before the worshipful master. Paganism, paganism. And then they bow to the Jehovah, Osiris, and Baal, goes all the way back to Babylon. And then in 2009, once again, Southern Baptist Convention, largest Protestant denomination, of which I was a part of until I finally couldn't stomach it anymore and left, refuses to condemn Freemasonry. And you, now you want to know why the Southern Baptist Convention is collapsing, largely 
no very few baptisms, very few true conversions by their own reports. Uh, international mission boards in financial trouble, according to the numerous reports. God has removed, I believe, his hand of protection from the largest Protestant denomination in America because they're going right back to the Tower of Babel and Osiris and Baal, and they won't listen to the Southern Baptist pastors that included my friend Ron Carlson, working with many of them, trying to warn them. So if you understand the players, you can see they're all working together today, which, by the way, isn't it interesting that hundreds of thousands of Southern Baptist men in the largest Protestant denomination are Masons. They have the crescent moon and sword of Islam on their little red hat, the Shriners, and yet this is why they couldn't pass a resolution this summer in St. Louis calling for the International Mission Board and the Ethics Religious Liberty Commission run by Russell Moore to withdraw their legal briefing in New Jersey for building a mosque in New Jersey. Well, why would they want to pull a legal briefing for building a mosque? Many of them are wearing a hat with this crescent moon and sword on it for Pete's sake. Man, they have no problem you, with Islam. Uh, you, you are the man. Folks, Brandon House on fire. Uh, you love this guy? Uh, I do. Folks, we're going to be right back. Stay right where you're at. Welcome back, folks, to the Hagman and Hagman Report. We have a very special guest, Brandon House, the uh, prolific author of 13 books, including The Coming Religious Reich. Oh, my goodness. I'm getting emails from uh, uh, so many emails all across the United States, Canada. Deborah from the U.K. writing in, I learned more in the last hour than in the last year. Thank your guest for me. That's Deborah from the UK. Frank from New South Wales, Australia saying, what a way to start the day there in, uh, Australia. Thank you so much. Uh, a couple of warnings to us not to interrupt. Let this man go. Wow. Okay. And one question, just, just to be sure, Brandon House is going to ask you this question. All of which that you're talking about right now can be found. These topics you're talking about can be found in your book, The Coming Religious Reich. Is that correct, sir? That, that is correct. Uh, almost everything I've said tonight is in the 500 page book, The Coming Religious Reich. It's hardcover. Uh, they also can get it as an ebook, either one, audiobook at, uh, they just go to worldviewradio.com and then look for the link for our bookstore. So they could even download it tonight at worldviewradio.com. Some of what I've said is in the book, and more probably of what I'll say this hour is in the book, The Coming, um, uh, or The Religious Trojan Horse, Religious Trojan Horse. Because I, I would like to touch on the fact that the immigration system in America, the Marxists and the Muslims, and this immigration crisis, who's pushing this? It's largely the evangelicals through the Evangelical Immigration Roundtable. Who is funding that? George Soros. Who is George Soros? He's a graduate of the London School of Economics. What is the London School of Economics? It's the Fabian Socialist School. What are the Fabian Socialists again? They want world government. How do they want world government? The Fabian window says, by a crisis, and then they remold the earth. So who's, who, who are the useful idiots? Go look up the Evangelical Immigration Roundtable. Most of your Christians are probably giving money to some of the religious organizations and pro-family leaders 
they're some of the, the most ignorant people I've ever met in my life, and I've met most of them over the years when I ran with them before I was a Christian, was a false convert. Uh, they're the useful idiots because most of them are attracted to power and money, and that's it. They have no theological or doctrinal convictions. And when I became a Christian, a real Christian, through faith and repentance, um, and started understanding these things, I began to warn them. And most of them wouldn't listen. Not only would they not listen, they got mad because it was going to cost them too much money to stand for truth, I think. Ecumenicalism, calling out the false Jesus of the Catholic Church, the false, the false gospel of the Catholic Church, the false gospel of Glenn Beck, the false gospel of the Church uh, of Latter-day Saints. It was going to cost them too much. They were about to do that. And then a lot of them, when I said, okay, fine, I'll just start writing books about you guys and expose you. And, of course, it was on. And most of them have been out, I think, to destroy me, and I could tell you a lot of stories about that. But I believe the religious right in America are some of the most biggest useful idiots, uh, the most uh, theologically inept. And many of them, not only are they false converts, many of them actually serve their father, the devil, just as Jesus said in, in, in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mountain, that the religious leaders of his day were serving their father, the devil, because everything to them is external, external. Well, let's boycott Petco. Let's boycott Radio Shack because they don't say Merry Christmas. I don't care if they say Merry Christ Mass or not. I could care less. These guys swallow gnats uh, or strain at gnats while they swallow camels. They're worried about whether or not someone's saying Merry Christmas, but yet who interviews Rick Joyner? false prophet out of North Carolina who I have on video saying he's gone off to heaven and swam with Jesus and talked sports, takes regular trips, visits with Enoch, visits with Elijah. Oh, you got some of the biggest pro-family leaders in America working with Rick Jordan. American Family Associations interviewed him, Tim Wildman, uh, Tony Perkins, Family Research Council. I mean, I can just go on down the list. Uh, Cindy Jacob, she's this prophetess, Cindy Jacob. Again, many of the religious right run with her. you got some of the biggest weird, strange people that you think you'd be embarrassed to be with. No, they interview them, they promote them, uh, and they, they, they let them come to their events. And yet, these are the religious right, the pro-family leaders, some of them doing this. But you go back to the Evangelical Immigration Roundtable, look at some of the people involved. In their own video, Richard Land, at the time Southern Baptist, uh, I think you'll find one of the leaders of Focus on the Family, representing Jim Daly, reading a statement. Uh, you'll find these videos online of them at their press conference. But who's funding the Evangelical Immigration Roundtable? Well, Breitbart did an investigation and found out George Soros. So here we go again, the 1950s, 1960s, Congress did a lot of investigations on uh, un-American activities, and what did they find? Well, they found the communists were infiltrating the churches, the, your federal council of churches, your national council of churches. And what did you have? You had former communists showing up at the congressional hearings as former communists saying, this is what we were doing as communists. Now I'm not a communist. You better look out. That was 1950s and 60s. What are they doing today? Well, today they're not communists. Today they're internationalist. They're statist. They're globalist. Same thing. And what are they doing? They're going after the useful idiots within evangelicalism. And as I detail in the coming religious right, in a chapter called Pride, Pragmatism, and Profit, the way they do it is generally find a, uh, a, a quote, ministry or pro-family group or religious leader who needs money because his ego maybe has gotten too big and he's extended his ministry more than he could with TV or radio or whatever. And he needs money. And I think they then swoop in and give them money to do their bidding. And the point I show is Jerry Falwell. Now, I knew Jerry. I did not know this about Jerry until I started researching this book. 
Jerry Falwell, according to the L.A. Times, old articles I found going back years, they got into financial trouble there at, at, uh, at his organization in Lynchburg. And they ended up taking a lot of money from Sun Young Moon of the Moonies, who owned the Washington Times. And pretty soon, when you have Falwell speaking for Sun Young Moon, and one of Falwell's right-hand men ends up leaving and going to work for Sun Young Moon for many years, and then comes back to work there at Lynchburg. And uh, according to the news reports and the last things I've seen, is still there. So is, are we shocked that his sons would hang out with Glenn Beck and have this New Age Mormon, Glenn Beck, blatant New Age Mormon, Glenn Beck, speak at Liberty, not once, but twice at least. Last time he spoke, a year ago this past April, promoting Joseph Smith, Mormon theology, talking about how he owns Joseph Smith's pocket watch, and Joseph Smith was a, was a martyr. No, he wasn't. He was a thug and a, a horse thief, and he was shot because someone slipped him a gun, one of his followers, in jail, and they got in a fight, in a gunfight, and he was killed. He was not a martyr, and yet there he stands at Liberty University with a sign behind them on the platform you know, training champions for Christ? Well, why? how did Glenn Beck end up at Liberty? Well, the way I think it is, is Jerry Falwell ended up working with the Moonies, Sung Young Moon, who thought he was the reincarnation of Christ. And all now, so are we shocked that we go from the Moonies to the Mormons? Pride, pragmatism, and profit. I think this is the problem. And evangelicalism, these useful idiots, I believe, are easily compromised. And I think the communists and the statists and the internationalists and the globalists know it. They absolutely, I think if we could find out who's funding who, and we already know it's to some degree, but if we really knew what was going on, I think we'd all be able to do the old saying, follow the money, you'd figure it out real fast. Because, see, there's no exactly. commitment to theology and doctrine. No commitment to the gospel, theology, and doctrine, and saying, thus saith the Lord, this is what we believe, you can do what you want, but for me and my house, <laughs> we're serving the Lord. Well, they, the day you can't serve God in manna, and many of them are more interested in their manna and their ministry than they are Christ. Um, kind of going from there, can you talk about uh, the founding fathers and, and what Christian patriotism has done to this nation? Yes. Now, this one was a real shocker to me because I spent a lot of years at our conferences having David Barton. And David was a good friend of mine and in my home, and, and I considered him one of my closest friends. And then he started working with Glenn Beck. And I called him up in uh, August of 2011, uh, maybe it was late July, and I said, hey, wait a minute, um, excuse me, 10, August of 2010, maybe late July 2010, just before the uh, big event by Glenn Beck on the mall in D.C., and I said, uh, David, uh, are you, do you have anything to do with organizing this Black Robe Regiment? And he said, yes, which I was shocked. I didn't realize that. I knew he'd gotten to know Glenn. We talked about his appearances on there, but I didn't realize he was the one organizing this Black Robe Regiment, which Glenn Beck, we have on video, saying included all faiths, including imams, locking arms, literally locking arms on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial there in D.C., August 2010. And I said, well, that's, that's ecumenicalism. That's, that's merging. That's, that's, that's saying, you know, we and Muslims and, and others worship the same God. We don't. You can't do that. Second Corinthians 6.14 says, what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness, the things of God with the things of Baal? Don't be unequally yoked. And what's so interesting, guys, is the religious right, every time you turn around, they want to hold some kind of prayer rally or prayer event. You know, petitioning God to bless our nation and crying and pleading for God to bless our nation, you know, a solemn day of prayer or a solemn service. 
And they pray. And who do they bring? You see every word of faith, false teacher, false prophet, false apostle, ecumenicalism, Catholic priest. And yet, if you read Second Corinthians six fourteen, and you go on through verse seventeen, it says, "Don't unite in spiritual enterprises." That's the whole context. It's not having a hamburger with your unsaved neighbor. It's not going to a ball game with your unsaved neighbor. It's not being friends with someone who's unsaved. That's not what it's saying. You can do that. The context is spiritual enterprises. Don't do it. And then it says in verse seventeen, "Hey, if you don't listen to what I'm telling you." and you do unite in spiritual enterprises with unbelievers, I will not receive you. And the context in the original language is, I will not receive you, I will not bless you, I will not have favor on you. So think about this. The religious rights running around, oh, God bless America, oh, God save America. For what? For what? For the gospel? No, you guys don't represent the gospel now. And if you do, you mix it up with false teaching, which confuses people. So for what? So people are in a good economic state, so they can hand over more donations to your ministry. You can buy more flat screen TVs. I mean, what for what? For what reason do you want God to bless America? But what you're doing isn't going to make God bless America. When you unite with false teachers, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, it's going to cause God to not receive you, bless you, or have favor on you. I contend that the judgment America is going through per Romans 1, and we are being judged per Romans 1 now. The religious right in America is largely responsible. So when you see the collapse of America, the demise of America, when you see a mushroom cloud uh, in American city due to the Muslims, you, you, you could probably thank most of your religious right, evangelical leaders, because God has removed his hand of protection from us, largely because of them, because they've united in spiritual enterprises with them, and God has said, I won't bless you, I won't have favor on you. And they've implemented... Islam. You have Ed Stetzner with the Southern Baptist Convention of Lifeway speaking recently at what was described as one of the largest and first ever evangelical event of evangelical leaders with imams. So I contend we're being destroyed. Now all that to be said, back to David Barton, he's working with Beck, August 2010, they're locking arms at the Lincoln Memorial. And I called up David, as I said, and I'm like, you can't do this. And he said, well, it's not ecumenicalism. I said, well, it sure is. Well, we parted company there. I quit booking him to speak for our conferences and wall builders no more. And so I thought, you know what? If David Barton can't figure out that Glenn Beck is not a Christian, how can I trust this guy to tell me that George Washington and John Adams and Jefferson and Franklin were Christians? Because it's pretty clear from Glenn Beck's own words, he's not a Christian. All you got to do is go read his book, Seven Wonders That Will Change Your Life, that he wrote with Dr. Keith Ablo. And it's blatant New Age mixed with Gnosticism and, and uh, Mormonism. And so I thought, well, and by the way, I've got Glenn, uh, David Barton on video saying, yeah, I know Glenn's a Mormon, but he's still a Christian. And the interviewer says, so you believe he's a Christian in every sense of the word? I do. Well, that's ridiculous, because the Jesus of Mormonism uh, is not the Jesus of the Bible. The God of Mormonism was a man of flesh and blood, they teach, who evolved to become God. Every Mormon man can become his own god, get his own planet, with his goddess wives that he has eternal sex with and populate his own planet. And of course, that also means that the Mormon god had to have incestual relationships with Mary to conceive Jesus, who, by the way, is the brother of Lucifer. So this is, a, and now the, the god of this world for Mormons sits on the planet near the star of Kalab and procreates and sends spirit babies to this earth, which David, which Glenn Beck, by the way, told the students at Liberty, your special spirits sit down here by the council. <laughs> Blatant Mormon theology was teaching them in that chapel service. So if David Barton can't figure out Glenn Beck's religion, how can I trust him to tell me about Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Franklin, and the rest? 
So I started doing my own research and I spent many months and I got a whole chapter on it in the book, Becoming Religious Reich. We, Franklin was not a Christian. Washington, Adams, Jefferson, no. Did they believe aspects of the Bible? Yes. But they believed in age of reason. Uh, human reason was above the Bible. They believed the Bible was, was the authoritative word of God only when it agreed with human reason. When it did not agree with human reason, it was not the word of God. So take, for instance, human reason. 10,000 women are pregnant. Did any of the 10,000 become pregnant without the act of of sex? No. Okay. Then the virgin birth doesn't pass the human reason test. Therefore, no virgin birth. Well, if you have no virgin birth, you have no savior because now you've got original sin. You've got sin entering the bloodline and you don't have a sinless savior. And without a sinless savior, there's no salvation. So you have the entire gospel collapsing. But that's Washington, Jefferson, Adams, Franklin. Maybe Patrick Henry, a few of these other guys were believers, but the big dominant five, and I could name a few more, were not. And I go into great detail in the book. But if you want to go back to our Christian history, our Christian heritage, you can, and it's at the colonies. And uh, there's a lot of research for Bradford and many other guys, strong Christians. So the good news is we have a Christian history and heritage. It's just not in the founding fathers. It's in the colonies. And in fact, I would contend that the founding fathers with their freedom of religion actually helped to open up a lot of the ecumenicalism that we see today. And the colonies, they were pretty strict on what you had to do and believe to be a leader. So I don't want a theocracy. I don't believe in a religious world government, a religious government, a theocracy. But the, the, the colonies, they would absolutely be opposed to what must, much, much of the founders believe spiritually. Am I thankful for the freedoms and the very, very well-written constitution? Yes, but let's not, let's not make people that we appreciate Christians. I can appreciate something about a, a person without making them out to be a Christian. And that's the biggest problem we're seeing in evangelicalism today in politics. They all want their leader to be a Christian. I don't call my plumber or electrician because he's a Christian. I call him because he's qualified. And you can have a good magistrate at the local, state, or federal level who is a good magistrate, but he isn't a believer. And, but let's not run around and make people out to be Christians that aren't just so we can feel better about the leader we're voting for. You can vote for a non-believer. It'd be great to have a committed Christian as a, as a leader, but the religious right wants to run around and claim everybody from Ted Cruz to other folks are Christians, and yet there's no evidence that people like Ted Cruz theologically is a Christian. In fact, to the contrary, his father is running to the church, who's a, who was a mouthpiece for his campaign, running to the church of Kenneth Copeland, one of the biggest false teachers in America, running to the church of, uh, of uh, another guy uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, we have it on video, um, uh, Larry, Larry uh, Huck, running to his Word of Faith church, teaching full-on Word of Faith dominionism, taking dominion, establishing the kingdom of God on earth, like some kind of Christian Taliban, I think. You're tweeting about Mother Teresa, who, by the way, let people die in squalor, uh, bringing in millions upon millions of millions of dollars, but didn't have enough money to keep the place sanitary and give them painkillers. Let's quit making people out to be Christians and be played the fool. We did that with George W., and he all had us convinced he was a Christian, and now he sat there in the last days of his White House giving interviews to the press saying that the God of the Bible and the Quran were the same. I'm tired of being fooled. Let's quit making these guys out to be Christians. We don't have to do that to feel good about our country or good about the Constitution. You can be thankful you got good elected officials 
get the job done, but quit confusing non-believers with believers just so you can feel good about it. Wow. I think we have got Glenn Beck, uh, David Barton on line one and two. That would be awesome. No, I, you know yeah. what? I have challenged them. I have challenged them to come on my show live. I have challenged most of the religious right by name to come on my show live so it can't be edited. Not one of them. I said, bring your Bibles and show me from the Scripture how you can justify what you're doing with these right. spiritual events. And they won't. You know why? Because you can't defend it in context with the Scripture. No, you're exactly right, and you've said so many so many things that are right on point here. Uh, it's interesting as I, as I sit back and I listen to what you're saying. We have guests come on, and uh, we talk about they talk about different aspects of of the things you're talking about. But you are direct on point, and uh, you're not taking any prisoners whatsoever. And I like that because so many times here we are held hostage to a certain um, set of beliefs that are are just uh, well. I, we suffer from this tolerance, this inane tolerance. We have to tolerate the. Uh, certain things, and when we, we don't, I mean, the, the the Bible is the Bible, the Scripture is the Scripture, uh, and you said something else too that that uh, uh, the uh, about our leaders. You know, you can be a, a good magistrate, or, or you could be a good um, you you could be, you could hold your position, serve your position well, uh, regardless of what your did I get this right? Regardless of what your faith might be, yeah. But but isn't it? it, it are, aren't we aren't we looking at a situation, uh, Mr. House, where where, um, for example, Greg Jackson says often says that you know a law, for example, that that's made that is contrary to God's law is no law at all. Doesn't that come into play? Isn't that a factor? I mean, don't we have to look at people who are spiritually? It, it, it's spiritually attuned uh, to, to make laws and, and to enact laws and to enforce laws? Um, or well, is that something I, that, I, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, God created family government and church government and civil government. He created all three. And too often people make the mistake of looking in the Old Testament and seeing what's going on and saying we should do the same. But that's Israel, and we are not Israel. Uh, those who are into that idea, it's called replacement theology. They believe... They believe today that now the, the the church is now Israel, and they take all the verses that apply to the nation of Israel and they apply them to the church. And that's most of your, a lot of your word of faith, New Apostolic Reformation folks believe in, in that replacement theology. They're very pro-Israel, uh, and obviously they would be, but they take the blessings and the promises to the nation of Israel and they put them onto the church. And so then they start taking all these Old Testament verses and they start saying, well, we need to do this and we need to do that. Well, if you really believe that, which, first of all, you can't do that, because Israel is a unique uh, a, a unique uh, uh, nation in God's economy and, and, and specific plans and promises and covenants and things that yet will still be fulfilled. But if they really believe that, then they shouldn't be wearing certain types of material. They should be worshiping on Saturday. And, and, and you can't just pick and choose which part of the civic and ceremonial laws you want to apply. And so these people, again, don't know enough Scripture to, to know what they're doing because most of them don't have the Holy Spirit because they're not believers, and we know they're not believers because they don't line up with the Scripture. And First John has ten hallmarks of a believer because First John chapter 5, verse 13 says, this book was written that you may know you have eternal life. And it lays out ten hallmarks of a believer. One of them is you persevere in the truth. 
You love the scripture. Uh, you love being with other believers. Well, false teachers don't love Christians. False teachers don't love truth. False teachers don't persevere in the faith. So many of these people in evangelicalism, they're not believers, but they go on with a religious facade. They're big on Israel, but they take the promises of Israel and put them onto this, quote, church of theirs. And then they believe we've got to elect all these Christian leaders and apply the teachings of the Old Testament of Israel to America. That's how we've gotten into this mess. They don't, they're not Christians, most of them, and they don't know how to say the Bible. But can you have a leader or leaders that can indeed implement laws that are consistent with the laws of God? It's called the moral law, and it's written on the heart of every person. Romans 1, Romans 2, Romans 3 says that. Uh, it's written on their conscience. Con means with, science means knowledge. They sin with the knowledge. They've offended a holy and just God. That's why there's universal consent that murder is wrong, adultery is wrong, rape is wrong, stealing is wrong. Why is it that all over the globe we have nations and cultures and even tribes that know these things are wrong? Because it has been put on their heart and their mind, their conscience, and the Bible says in Romans that their mouth will be shut on the day of judgment because the law will condemn them. They have violated the character and nature of God. You look at someone with lust, equal to adultery. Hated someone, equal to murder. Stolen something of the smallest value makes you a thief. We are lying, thieving, adulterers at heart. We are not good people. There's no one good, no not one. So you can't say, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. Really? You're lying, thieving, adulterer at heart by your own admission. And the good news is, after we present the disease, is the cure. Christ's righteous life that he lived is imputed or credited to my account. Why did he live 33 years here on this earth? Why didn't he just come here for 33 minutes? He had to live the righteous life we couldn't live so it could be credited to our account through faith and repentance, not by works, but through faith and repentance. Second Corinthians 6.14, a godly sorrow that produces repentance unto salvation. So we can even have unbelievers implementing law in accord with the moral law because the moral law has already been written on their heart and their mind, their conscience. They know what is right. They know what is wrong. Even the unbeliever knows this general revelation. And so that's why we have this civil code globally that recognizes murder is wrong, theft is wrong, rape is wrong, adultery is wrong, all of these things I've mentioned. So, yes, unbelievers can be good magistrates. We don't have to make them out to be Christians to like them, to vote for them, to feel good about them. But the problem is today is we have taken what is the role of the church and we put it onto the government. And we are mixing these spheres and we're saying the church needs to be the government and the Christians need to do this and that. No, we do not. The church is the church, the government is the government, and the function and role of the government is not the function and the goal of the church. We do not charge the government with preaching the gospel and equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We also don't charge the church with going around and arresting people and bearing the sword and committing uh, people to death through capital punishment, which they can do, per Romans 13, the government can't. Today, we have these people that are mixing things together and really trying to create a theocracy or what they call the seven mountain mandate and whether it's Kenneth Copeland or I believe he embraces it I know David Barton was just teaching this uh, recently again but many of the word of faith people teach the seven mountain mandate of taking over government and media and arts and entertainment and education and they believe once we've done this then we can 
implement the kingdom of God. And I have many of these people on, uh, uh, on video stating that once we do this, God will turn to Christ and say, I release you to go. And so they believe that really God is in heaven, Christ is in heaven, and they're waiting for us to get our act together, establish this righteousness on earth, the kingdom of God on earth, for him to then rule and reign. That's not in the scripture. Jesus said in John eighteen thirty six, my kingdom is not of this world. It is not from here. If it were, my disciples would fight to keep me from being turned over to the Jews. We see in Daniel 2, verse 44, God will, God or Christ, at the uh, announcement of God, Christ will bring the kingdom. It doesn't say he built, we, we build it. He brings it. So That's right, Brandon. Hold that thought. Up. We're up against the break. When we come back, I want to talk about the false church of Nazi Germany and the similarities between the growing false church we have today. Folks, you're listening to the Brandon House. We'll be right back after this. So for in the last segment of this broadcast with Brandon House, WorldViewWeekend.com. That's WorldViewWeekend.com. He's a radio show host and an author and so much more, author of 13 books. And the book we're talking about tonight, The Coming Religious Reich. And every time I see that word Reich, I think about the Third Reich, the Nazis, and which leads us right into our next question. Um, you have 21 similarities between the false church of Nazi Germany and the growing global false church. Can you go over those? Sure. Well, one of them is nationalism. And it depends on how you define nationalism. Nothing wrong with being patriotic. I, I was, spent eight years growing up in Washington, D.C., and loved the whole patriotism thing and, and the military bands and the marches and all the things, the, the changing of the guard at the too many unknown soldiers. I love all that. That's patriotism. Nothing wrong with that. Nationalism is something completely different, and it depends on, again, how you define it. But many different definitions, and the one I like the best would be when the state becomes of primary importance. When the state becomes of primary importance. Not the church, not the gospel, not the Great Commission, but the state. And that's what much of, of the religious right does today. They don't care about the, the gospel, because if they did, they wouldn't be promoting false teaching, false teachers, and interviewing and promoting them and getting involved in all these ecumenical enterprises and confuse the living daylights out of people as to which Christ and which gospel. So they don't clearly love the gospel. They don't clearly love the church, because Paul says in Acts 20, if you love the church, you'll guard the church and beware of the men who have risen from within. So they clearly put the institution of the state ahead of the church. And that's nationalism, when the state is of primary importance. So nationalism. And that became the issue in Germany. And they said their political duty was to the state, their spiritual duty to God, but they ended up compromising and making their spiritual commitment to uh, the state too, had their sons sworn into office as SS officers in their churches, baptized their children in front of Nazi flags, removed the Bible, replaced it with Mein Kampf, and removed the cross and replaced it with the swastika. So nationalism is a big one. And again, I go back to the fact that people have made Franklin, Jefferson, Washington, Adams, and these kind of guys out to be Christians when they're really not. Which is, so really what they're saying is, see, this is what these Christian men did. Now you go do the same. Well, they weren't Christians, so let's not take our lead from them. Also, the Pledge of Allegiance, by the way. Did you know the Pledge of Allegiance was written by a Fabian Socialist Baptist pastor? The Pledge of Allegiance was written by a Fabian Socialist Baptist pastor by the name of Bellamy. And Bellamy worked with John Dewey, Francis Bellamy, worked with John Dewey and the National Association 
the National Education Association to get this pledge in America's schools and get them flagged and having these kids pledging allegiance to the flag. Why? So they would think about the central government, not state rights. So a, a form of nationalism, once again, not state rights, not the 10th Amendment, but federalism. And one nation under God was added later. We're not one nation under God. You can't stand in a ball field, in a stadium, and say we're one nation under God with the Hindus and the and and the the New Agers and the Muslims. We're not one nation under one God. That's pluralism. We're not that. No. Uh, so you can't even say that pledge with a straight face. That was added in the 1950s. But part of that it was I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States and to the republic for which it stands. The republic was to be the communist republics of the world. They were all saying the pledge, the same pledge to their flag. So it was to be an international pledge. Go do the research on Francis Bellamy and the Pledge of Allegiance. And this, again, has helped to teach our kids to look at the state, the central government, not um, state rights. Postmodernism, that was big in Germany. Uh, Michael, Fu- or uh, actually Frederick Nietzsche, uh, Hitler liked to have his picture taken, staring at a bust of Frederick Nietzsche. Nietzsche, of course, is one of the founders of postmodern thought. God is dead. His idea of the Superman race. So he took the idea of Nietzsche's Superman and he merged it with Charles Darwin and decided it was, you know, we need to evolve. We need to go beyond biological evolution so we could eventually go on to spiritual evolution. Very interesting thing to note is that a lot of the reports show that Hitler was going to deport most of the Jews. By the way, America wouldn't take them. America by then had been so infiltrated with anti-Semitism, largely through a Catholic priest on the radio teaching social justice and anti-Semitism uh, in the 1920s and early 30s, that America wouldn't even take some of these who, Jews who showed up on the SS St. Louis and wouldn't let them dock here and get off, and most of them ended up back in Europe, and a lot of them were killed in, in Hitler's camps. So America is a lot that we should be ashamed of that we don't even really recognize anymore, even think about. But the the idea of Hitler was really, eventually, to many reports, was he would just shove the Jews out of Germany. But he ended up meeting with the Grand Mufti al-Husseini of Jerusalem. This is the Muslim leader in Jerusalem. And he convinced Hitler not to shove the Jews out of Germany, back to Palestine, because he didn't want them going back there. He wanted to take over that area. Uh, and he didn't want them becoming a state again. And so he convinced them, Hitler to slaughter the, the Jews. So really, if you go look up online, you will see uh, Bosnian Muslims, some ten to 30,000 Muslims wearing the Nazi uniform. Oh, by the way, they also are wearing these little red hats with the little red fez like the Shriners. Well, that goes back again to many, many years ago and the Muslims killing the Christians in Morocco and dipping their hats in their blood. So here are the Nazi, Nazi Muslims wearing the, the Hitler's uniform and the Grand Muftis reviewing the troops. And I can say a lot more about that. By the way, one of his relatives was was um, was uh, the, the PLO leader um, Yasser Arafat. That was that's one of the relatives of of the Grand Mufti who worked with Hitler. But Hitler is teaching this postmodernism, embracing postmodernism from from Frederick Nietzsche. Truth and reality created by God. We need to become a Superman. We need to evolve. He merges it with Darwinian evolution. Today we teach postmodernism. Obviously, we teach Darwinian evolution. Deconstructionism, that was another one. Uh, I'll try to break this down as fast as I can, as simply as I can. Martin Heidegger, he was one of the first uh, Nazi rectors uh, there in charge of one of the schools. Martin Heidegger, he taught existentialism, which really is a fancy word for the subjective truth. He didn't believe in any absolute truth. He also taught the idea of community. And what we needed to do was set aside absolute truth to have community. 
And if we set aside absolute truth and have community, then we'll have salvation. So Martin Heidegger, through deconstructing absolute truth, there is no truth, existentialism. We become a community, and by setting aside truth, doing whatever we have to do, we can have collective salvation as a nation. And that's Martin Heidegger and deconstructionism. And today, what are they doing? They're deconstructing absolute truth. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Moral relativism, situational ethics. They don't even have absolute truth in writing. They have whole language now. Kids are empowered to invent the shapes of letters and the spellings of words. Uh, let's see another one. Ecumenicalism. We see that, of course, all the world's religions merging. Syncretism. That was going on big time. They had uh, uh, the not the, uh, the the uh, leader of the church picked the, the, uh, the Nazi bishop, uh, the head of the Reich Church, handpicked by Adolf Hitler, was a guy named Mueller, and they dissolved their denominations and they united under the Reich bishop, handpicked by Adolf Hitler. And of course, then there were men who didn't that started the Confessing Church, and that would be Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, and, and other men like that. But out of some 14,000 evangelical pastors, it said that only about 800 stood up against him. They ended up being killed, most of them. The rest of them went along. So syncretism, ecumenicalism. Uh, ridiculing those who mock and warn, that happened then, that happens now. Pragmatism, the end justifies the means. I think we see that happening. Social justice, that's what Hitler was, the National Socialist Workers' Party, socialism. Today we have social justice, and we have so-called pastors preaching this and teaching this, and Tim Keller and many others that are very, very popular with today's young people. Uh, eight, hiding the cross. Yeah, they took down the cross and replaced it with uh, mine, uh, with uh, the swastika. We see that today. Most churches today don't exhibit the cross. They don't preach the cross. They don't teach the cross. Uh, they, in fact, I know of a church in Minneapolis that took down the cross, so they could have a, a Hindu and a Muslim come in and have a conversation. And they took down the cross before they came in that night for the little conversation so they wouldn't be offended, so hiding the cross. Weak pastors, weak churches, that was big then. Hitler even write, writes about how they're sweating dogs who will betray their God for their miserable jobs. And we even have another Nazi that wrote about the fact that they had lost their overall purpose and mission. They just kind of fell apart, and we see that today, weak pastors, weak churches. Lack of biblical purpose and courage, I already mentioned that one. Uh, higher criticism, that is when you start not believing in the authority of the Word of God. Did God really mean that? Did God really say that? And that's often called German higher criticism. We see that today. Well, did God really say? Did God really mean? Uh, pagan spirituality with Christianity, that's basically Joel Osteen, the power of I am, New Age teachings, wrapped in Christian praises. That's totally what was going on in Germany as well, Pagan paganism. Hitler, by the way, was so big into environmentalism. Most people have no clue that the whole green movement, sustainable development, was actually started by Hitler. He was clearing out Jews, killing them in order to purge the land, make it a, really a, a sacrifice, if you would, to the pagan gods, and then he was setting aside all kinds of land and forest into sustainable development. He was into alternative energy. He was into the green energy. By the way, while they're killing and torturing the Jews with scientific experiments, they're passing very strict human right, uh, uh, laws related to how you treat animals. Many of the marriages were included a blessing to Mother Earth and Father Sky. Total paganism. Go back. Hitler was really the founder of much of the or at least he's one of the biggest implementers of uh, what we would today call Agenda 21, Sustainable Development. Uh, attributing the work of Satan to God, yeah, Hitler was almost killed, an explosion, it didn't kill him. He said God saved him in a radio address. Attributing the work of Satan to God, we see that going on all the day. False teachers say, oh, look at that, there's a, there's a sign of the Holy Spirit, work, you know, special spirit, uh, Holy Spirit uh, manifestations. No, most of these manifestations you see in the Word of Faith, 
and New Apostolic Reformation are the same Kundalini Yoga Kriya manifestations within Hinduism and New Age. Uh, Dominion theology, got to take over the world, rule the world. We see that today. Dominion theology. Many of these Christians think we have to take dominion, uh, establish the kingdom of God on earth, then Christ can return. Baloney. That's not in the scriptures. I've already documented that. Uh, materialism, nihilism, life has no ultimate meaning, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, ignoring the murder of the innocent, well, that was certainly going on in Germany. We see that today with the slaughter now of about 60 million babies. The acceptance of homosexuality, much of Hitler's inner circle were homosexuals. Many of them are cross-dressers. Um, I could go into more of that, but I won't. Uh, let's see, give you a couple more. Oh, a false spiritual awakening. Some of the pastors before Hitler turned evil, uh, and, or at least manifested his evilness, m many evangelical pastors from the West uh, were saying that Hitler was wonderful and even revival was coming to Germany uh, because of Hitler. And of course, it was a false spiritual awakening. And we see that now today. David Barton, Glenn Beck, many of them talked about a spiritual awakening and revival. Well, I'm sorry, there's no spiritual awakening or revival without a true gospel. And then I've already mentioned radical environmentalism. So that's 21 right there. Wow, that was, uh, <laughs> you went through those rather fast. Um, uh, Brandon, we got about um, 18 minutes left before the end of this interview. I want to let you take this stop. where I don't, you want to I've said everything. I don't, I don't have any more to say. I, I, think I've, I think I've said everything. I'm out of stuff. I'm out of material. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I have what a feeling you you're just about? you're just getting started. Uh, I am. I'm wow. just getting warmed up. Let's go. Let's keep going. You, you know. Okay. So, so uh, what do you see taking place? Uh, all right. Uh, to bring this home a little bit today. Yeah. Um, you got to see some parallels with with the oh, current man. election yeah. process. I mean. Where are we at with this? I'm I'm just going to toss that out there and stand back and try not to get hit by anything uh, as you go through this. I'm just interested in the parallels you're seeing today with the uh, election here, just uh, you know, under forty uh, under forty days away. Uh, yeah, man, you you got to have some you got to have some powerful thoughts on that. Well, I, I don't know how powerful they are. I, I'm very confused by a lot of it, um, but I do understand it. Um, and, and I don't endorse candidates because of the fact that I'm in a Christian work and a Christian ministry, and I don't want to get so caught up into politics that I alienate a big chunk of my audience over politics when the truth of the gospel and the teaching of God's word is the primary thing. So I try not to get all involved in all that and start saying I'm for this person, I'm for that person. So, But what I will say is I do evaluate their worldviews, and today on my radio show I evaluated the worldview of Tim Kaine, who told us last night he loved his Jesuit uh, Jesuit uh, leaders in South America? Well, go go check out Jim uh, or Francis Carney, one of the Jesuit uh, priests. He, he was an avowed Marxist, according to the news reports. Kane uh, in the eighties walked many miles to go meet, meet Carney, and Carney was a Marxist Jesuit priest. These Jesuits down there in South America were involved in many, many, many of the communist revolutions. In fact, they were extremely brutal, uh, these, these, these communists down there. And I dealt with that all on my radio show today that it's already posted at worldviewradio.com. And uh, so we've got to be very careful of the Jesuit Tim Kaine. Uh, we know Hillary and Bill are highly connected to Georgetown University, which is a Jesuit college, which, by the way, their logo is a eagle with the cross in one talent and the world in the other. And in Latin, of the two, one. They want world dominion. That's That's what... That's what unites most of these false religions. They want world dominion. And they're going to get it with a guy who will show up on the scene appealing to all of them and, get, and have world dominion based in Babylon, 50 miles south of Baghdad. 
I like Mike Pence. I have known of him for many, many years because of the church he went to for 12 years, Emanuel Bible Church in Annandale, Virginia. I attended the church. I went to the Christian school for a few years as a child. Many of my closest, closest friends who I talk to with on a daily, if not weekly basis, uh, still go there or on staff. And I knew for many years that Michael Pence was going to that church. I knew he was going to run for governor of Indiana a few years before he did. I was told that's probably what he would do, and then he would probably run for president. Well, he did run for governor. He'd been the congressman from Indiana. He did not run for reelection for that seat, ran for governor. He won. He did not run for president, I don't think, even though it was originally, I think, the plan, because he ran into some controversy on the issue of same-sex marriage and some of the laws there, and he kind of got beat up in the press. So I think he kind of pulled back. And again, some of this is speculation, but again, I was told, hey, this is kind of what you should be watching for. And a lot of it, you know, seemed to come past. I like Mike Pence in a lot of ways, absolutely. Um, Donald Trump, I don't fully understand him, uh, aspects of him, I totally understand. I understand why he's popular. The people are fed up with Washington. They're fed up with lies. They're fed up with the scheming. They're fed up with the money going under the table. They're fed up with the things that people don't get prosecuted that you'd be, you know, prosecuted for. They're sick of it. And along comes a guy saying the things they want to hear. He's not politically correct. Now, he picks a good running mate. And all I can say is we don't really know what's going to happen. We'll have to watch. I will say this. If he does the things he's going to – if he really does the things he says he's going to do, he is going to really throw a monkey wrench in the New World Order and the globalist in their plan, and it's going to be very interesting. Another part of me wonders if they really want Donald Trump. Now, the media doesn't want him. I know that. But part of me wonders if the globalists really do want him to win because they are planning on collapsing the dollar and messing everything up. And who wants to do this? The, the Republicans and the Democrats are one party. We know that. Uh, Carol Quigley, who wrote Tragedy and Hope, uh, taught and mentored uh, at Georgetown and, and mentored Clinton, uh, Bill, and Bill gave a shout out to him in his speech at the Democratic Convention in 92. Carol Quigley told us they're one party. And so uh, who wants to be in charge if it's all going to come crashing down and they're going to stop propping the dollar up and stop propping up the stock market and roll us into a, system, a, a global system? Well, the Republicans don't want to be in charge, per se. The Democrats don't want to be in charge, per se. Now, this is all speculation on my part. Well, let's give it to Donald Trump, you know, kind of like the old commercial. Let's give it to Mikey. He'll eat anything. So maybe this whole thing is Hillary wanted it. Hillary wanted it because Hillary is Hillary, and she always has wanted it. So they're like, yeah, let's just let Hillary run. You didn't see a whole lot of Democrats coming out to fight her for that nomination, did you? Other than crazy Bernie, no. in my opinion. So let's let Hillary run. She always has wanted to run. She's getting old enough. This is her last shot. Let Hillary run. So they let Hillary run. And Donald runs, and they're happy to let Donald run, and all the Republican establishment all act like they can't stand him, and they're all saying they're going to vote for Hillary, some of the Bush people and whatnot, because they don't like Trump. So they're doing everything they can, a lot of the establishment globalists, to distance themselves from Trump. It's total speculation. I could be 100% wrong. Maybe they want Trump to have it, let it all collapse on his watch. Then the Republicans and the Democrats can say, see, we told you so. The Republican establishment, establishment can say, see, we told you, we told you. They, that way their hands are clean. No one is holding the bag. The R's and the D's aren't really holding the bag at this collapse because most of your prominent globalist R's, Republicans, didn't go for Trump, didn't show up at the convention, what, nothing. They're staying far away from this thing. So Trump might be being set up for the great global collapse of America to be 
formed into a the North American Union, as we see with the European Union Commission that has America divided into that region. That's total speculation. I'm going to watch and see what happens and revise I like that. and extend my I- remarks. You know, being, again, citing my profession as an investigator, I, I like that line of thinking there because that makes sense, um, a plausible deniability, you know, arm's length from, from the disaster. Yeah, you want it, here it is, it's going to come crashing down, we know it because we set it up that way. Yeah, and why, did, why were there not more Democrats going for the nomination? Yeah, well, good point. I mean, we had 17 on the side of the Republicans, right? Right. How many did we have on the side of the Democrats? What, like... Uh, two. Well... Bernie? One. Three? <laughs> yeah. Hillary, Bernie, and uh, what was the, the former, what, governor of Maryland uh, or whatever his name was? Um, yeah, how quickly we, we forget now. Uh, See, yes, but... You know, yeah. But where, yeah. where was everybody running for the party, for the D? True. True. The, very interesting. You, you and, could and very well be guys, something. By the way, did some of the guys who were running for the Republican, did some of them really act like they really wanted it? Oh, <laughs> goodness, no. Uh, no. Yeah, no, it was like, why are you bothering to even run? You don't, you don't act like you even really want this. Y- yeah. Wow. Very interesting um, angle. Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, maniacal. And by, uh, oh, and by the way, keep your eye on Newt Gingrich. Because as I document in my book, uh, The Coming Religious Right, Newt Gingrich is a total communitarian, unless he's completely rejected all that. He thought that uh, oh, yeah. uh, this couple that wrote The Way, The, the, the Third Way. The third Way, yeah, uh, Toffler. Yeah, Heidi, uh, uh, Heidi and Alvin yeah. Toffler were wonderful. Yep. The Constitution outlived its usefulness, and we needed to do away with them and go to internationalism. And he recommended members of Congress read it, wrote the forward to one of their books. I yep. mean, Newt Gingrich, I go into his worldview big time in the coming religious Reich. So keep your eye on him. Oh, by the way, who, who are the ones endorsing him for president? Oh, I go in the book, all the religious right members that came out endorsing Newt Gingrich. Look, if you know if there's a if there's a if there's someone running for office who's not good, you can probably almost guarantee the religious right. Some some of the biggest players are going to endorse them. That doesn't mean I don't like some of the things I hear Newt say. That doesn't mean I don't think Newt's not a smart guy. But uh, until Newt completely denounces Heidi and Alvin Toffler, I'm super super suspect. But yet, this is the same guy that said that. Well, the establishment doesn't like Trump because he hasn't been initiated in the secret societies. Right. Remember that clip. Yeah, so of course. I don't know if, if Newt just sees where the trend is going, and because he wants to keep his book selling and all that, he's going to jump on this trend. I don't know. I see some of the guys in the Republican establishment talk radio world that weren't doing so good after the loss of Romney. Their ratings cratered. Uh, yep. Megyn Kelly gets the 8 o'clock slot, and then all of yep. a sudden some of those guys start jumping on the Tea Party bandwagon. So I wonder if some yeah. of these guys just got their finger in the wind. Interesting observations, all of them. Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and folks, Brennan House, what a great interview. I mean, this was, to me, this is one of the most invigorating, informative, inspirational interviews uh, that we've done in, in uh, quite a while. Um, well, you're very and, kind. Let me ask you this real yeah. quick. Close it. How many minutes do we have left? We we got uh, for you. We'll, we'll go another six hours. But uh, no, for you, uh, uh, seriously, about we got uh, five minutes. About five minutes, minutes left. Left. Yeah. Okay. Here's 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 my closing warning for true Christians that I deal with in the book for the providential purpose of persecution in the book, the coming religious right. The Christians have got to understand that if this trend that we see continue, 
persecution is coming and you're going to be persecuted by people within within the religious establishment of the Vatican, the Jesuits, that that whole group, you're going to be persecuted by much of the religious right, much of the religious right who are part of the social justice, the neo-Calvinist, the creation care crowd, the um, uh, ecumenical crowd, they're going to come, and they already are coming against many of us. If you believe in expository Bible teaching, the purity of the gospel, the purity of the church, the biblical mission of the church, you don't buy into their hype of moralizing and boycotting every group that doesn't agree with us on the planet, which is so Stupid! This moralizing. I mean, look at the guy in the scriptures. Jesus mentions that moralizes. He has a demon. He cleans up his life. The demon leaves. And after a little bit, the demon comes back with seven demon buddies. And Jesus said he was in worse shape than before. Mm-hmm. Moralizing doesn't work. Jesus called them the, the the religious leaders whitewashed tombs. You know, dead men's bones. So it doesn't work. But the religious right, if you don't go along with their their agenda, their culture war, which by the way they keep losing at, and I wonder why, because the sp- culture war is really a symptom of the spiritual problem of the nation, and the solution is the gospel, which they rarely preach as ever, and if they do, they confuse it again with all the weirdos they hang out with and spiritually inept and false teachers. So look for persecution from the Muslims, from the Vatican types, from the religious right, the persecution is largely going to come from a false, dominant church. Mark my words, write it down, and in the book I have a whole chapter on the providential purpose of persecution. Did you know it's God's will that we're persecuted? The Bible clearly says it. It's your will of God that you're saved. It's the will of God that you're sanctified. It's the will of God that you abstain from sexual morality. It's the will of God that you're persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There's a reason for it. It's preparing us. I think we're even being prepared now. But I just want the audience to realize much of what we're saying is going to require many of us to count the cost. It might be soft persecution. It may not be the kind of persecution Christians have dealt with behind the Iron Curtain or in Cuba, the former Soviet Union. It might be a soft persecution. But watch, if I'm not right, a lot of it will come from the religious establishment. Yeah, I think we're seeing that right now in, yep. in, um, yeah, in many ways. Absolutely. And then I would say, too, Romans 1, we see five consequences to rejecting God over and over. A nation of fools, vain, useless, and futile in their thinking. That's what that means. The acceptance of homosexuality, the acceptance of pagan spirituality, they worship and serve the creation rather than the creator is blessed forevermore, a violent, debased culture. And then you see people who know the righteous judgments of God, Romans 1, verse 32, but they don't do it, and they encourage others not to do the same. So you end up with leaders corrupt at all levels who know the righteous judgments of God, but they don't do it, and they encourage other people not to follow it either. I see the five consequences of rejecting God here. And the religious right runs around saying, oh, the Supreme Court just finalized same-sex marriage. You better look out. Here comes the judgment of God. Well, when you hear a religious right member say that, you know what that means? They don't know what the, they don't know the scriptures. They don't. Because here they say, oh, no, same-sex marriage has been legalized. Here comes the judgment of God. What do they expect is going to happen? You know, uh, hailstorms the size of tractor-trailer trucks? I mean, a tsunami that, that wipes over all of America? What are they expecting? Romans 1 doesn't say... Judgment will come if these things happen. Romans 1 says those things are the judgment. They are the judgment. You reject God, you reject truth, these things are the judgment. 
listen to the religious right saying, oh, here comes judgment, like we're going to have hailstorms falling out of the sky and something from the tribulation occurring. No, these things being embraced and mainstreamed and normalized is the judgment. And you know what else? The Bible says that false teachers are a judgment. I believe much of our religious right leaders are part of God's judgment on our nation. But we also see in the scripture, one reason we have false teachers is for God to test who is faithful. And so the true believers will reject the false teachers, the false gospel, the false Christ, the religious right leaders that partner with them and promote them. But they, much of the religious right, they have what they have, they're where they are at, they're accomplishing what they're accomplishing, because they are part of God's judgment on America, and they're also being used to test true believers. Man, what a a marvelous place to stop to end. Uh, Mr. House, I just want to say thank you so much for your time tonight, your gift of time. Thank you. I mean, this was... uh, this was one of the. I mean, this is one for the record books. If I could, uh, <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, if, I, if I can go out to where you're at and shadow you for a day or two, uh, uh, I'd love to You'd do that. You'd be bored. You'd be bored. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, uh, I, I have to bring a several notebooks uh, and a lot of number two pencils. But, uh, Mr. House, thank you so much. Author of the Coming Religious Reich, right? And uh, that's right, uh, folks. G- grab that. Until next time, sir. And don't be a stranger. Please come back. Uh, love you can find me back, back anytime. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks. Wow, folks. Uh, that was Brandon House. Uh, his website, of course, worldviewweekend.com. His book, The Coming Religious Reich. Tomorrow, Paul McGuire. Wow, talking about a, a one-two punch, huh? fantastic show. Until tomorrow, stay safe, God bless, and have a great night. Good night.